I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, Sound of Freedom has been the sleeper blockbuster hit of the summer. An action thriller in the vein of the Rambo movies or the Taken films, Sound of Freedom purports to tell the true story of former Department of Homeland Security official Tim Ballard and his fight against child trafficking. Since its release, Sound of Freedom has been a success at the box office. However, it's also been heavily criticized as promoting QAnon-style conspiracy theories and a right-wing agenda. Journalist Damian Moore, who alongside Lynn Packer, has been covering the story of Tim Ballard and the organization he was up until recently most closely associated with, Operation Underground Railroad, joins us to discuss the truth behind Sound of Freedom and the many fabrications of Tim Ballard on this edition of the show. So, without any further ado, let's get right to it with Damian Moore of American Crime Journal. This is a long conversation, clocking in at nearly two and a half hours, so buckle your seatbelts. It is a wide-ranging conversation and I hope it'll answer everyone's questions about Sound of Freedom and the controversies around it. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm really, really excited to be speaking with. Uh, he's been doing some important work along with Lynn Packer at American Crime Journal on the figure of Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad. For people that don't know, uh, those are the sort of figures involved with this movie, uh, Sound of Freedom. It's sort of been described as uh, this QAnon-adjacent movie that has sort of uh, become a surprise sleeper hit. Uh, so 
Damien, how are you doing? All right, fantastic. How are you today? Very good, very good. For for people that are unfamiliar uh, with uh, this story of Tim Ballard, or maybe they've been living under a rock, uh, maybe you could give the basics of uh, the story and how you got involved with it, along with how Lynn got involved with it. Well, Tim Ballard, uh, basically, he's become sort of a, he started out with a company. He began a nonprofit called Operation Underground Railroad. The true story of it is he was pitching it as a reality TV show. He tried to pitch it to in Hollywood. Didn't work out. He tried pitching it in Utah. But he had caught the attention of Glenn Beck with his book series. He wrote like the pseudo uh, historian. Like he was like a pseudo historian for LDS, like biblical fan fiction. He wrote the Covenant series where it tries to say that like certain historical points in history were attributed to Joseph Smith or the Mormon covenant, like Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves because he read the Book of Mormon, which history, we know that's not true, but uh, we'll just go with that. And then uh, Glenn Beck finds out that he had worked in Homeland Security. He pitched his story about OUR, the TV show to Beck. Beck decides to back it into an actual operation. They started as a nonprofit and they would go overseas and purportedly rescue children from sex traffickers. Um, they made it seem like they sprung them from like, you know, jails and stuff. But really what they do is they would just like start a sex party combined with the police, pose as like guys that want to have sex with teens. And then the police would do a bust. Nothing really, uh, you know, just bust like they do over here. So um Along the way, he actually got law enforcement to kind of back him. He had the Net Nanny series with Washington State Police because he actually had John Lines, who was with Homeland Security, working on the domestic front. And they would donate money. And this is how it works. They would donate money to, say, for instance, Washington State Patrol Missing and Exploited Children Task Force. What they would do is they would sign a contract saying, well, we're partners with you. But they didn't really, like, partake in it. So what happened is if the say the Washington State Patrol Human Trafficking Task Force makes a bust, OUR can say, ah, oh, see, we were partners with them and we did this bust, but they had really no involvement in it. Well, they kind of take off, but uh, Tim Ballard kind of has a falling out in 2019 with some of his bigger uh, associates. And the movie is already being made at this point. And then he really starts affiliating himself with more like right-wing groups. He gets involved in the Wayfair conspiracy, and that's where he kind of makes this turn, getting more into the deeper the right-wing politics. Ticks. So then this movie Sound of Freedom came out, and this has made him into a household name for about a week. And now the media is catching on to the real story, but they kind of fumbled it along the way. As far as I go and how I got involved, I was actually writing about a young girl, missing girl named Carly Cusay in California. One of the major donors lived there. They made a big donation to OUR early in the year. So they had some pool with Operation Underground Railroad. She calls them. John Lyons comes out. They try to get Mono County to sign this contract saying if Carly's found, they were involved. They were partners. Well, they wouldn't do it. So John Lyons takes off. But along the way, he's leaving nasty text messages with former police officers, people that are seriously trying to find this girl. And he goes away. So I look into him. I write about it. I was going to release the text messages that John Lyons had wrote in this case. And I wrote a um, 
on our Facebook page, I said, listen, this under Operation Underground Railroad looks like a, a club for middle-aged white men to live out their James Bond fantasies in foreign nations, black and brown nations. They send me this cease and desist from the most powerful law firm in the state of Utah that backs the LDS church. They were uh, just had gotten a big news story and vice for doing this catch and kill program for sex abuse victims of the LDS church where they would silence them. And here they're sending me a letter. So I'm like, there's something more here. And that's when I started. I'm like, there's no way they're just offended by Facebook uh, comments. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was because I think this Sound of Freedom movie, as much as it is, is, as it is sort of a QAnon adjacent movie, I think it's done in a more slick way, if you will, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a movie mentioning like reptilian overlords or the, the type of right. things you see with QAnon. And I've seen, you know, everyday people be taken in by this movie and they're, you know, for sure. whatever reason, they're taken in by it. So what are the problems with Tim Ballard's story and why why should we be calling it out? Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, how can we be attacking a movie about uh, human trafficking? Um, but th- there are real issues at stake here with this movie and the sort of narrative Ballard has supported. Well, we actually talk about this with Seth Andrews in an episode coming out in a couple of days. Um, I wouldn't say it's a QAnon movie, but it's a, is it a gateway to some of the conspiracy theories that introduce people to QAnon? And let's take an example. The theme of this film is a child getting kidnapped and sold into trafficking and, you know, say, uh, I think they go down through the Honduras and down to this Colombian drug lord. But anyway, the bottom line is the vast majority of trafficking cases don't involve kidnapping that's sort of become this sort of uh, and most americans think that like kidnapping your child snatched even jim caviezel right before this film comes out says imagine you're with your family at a fourth of july picnic and someone comes along when you're not looking and takes your kid and that's not how human trafficking works you talk to the experts you talk to law enforcement and instills this fear and let's just say it does raise the awareness but it raises on the wrong things you're looking at for your kid to be snatched when really there's this whole grooming process you got family members that are more put your kid at risk coaches priests other people i was gonna say usually it's a a friend of the family or someone in the family rather than you know a stranger as much as we talk about stranger danger but yeah absolutely and when people say but this has happened though right and i'm like well maybe it has but there's not a documented case in the united states States. And number two, um, even if it's happened at a rare occasion, it's not bringing awareness to actual trafficking. And there's so many stories out there that could have been told, that could have been, it didn't even have to be the actual story. They could have made it a, uh, you know, we could have combined several stories and told an actual story about trafficking, but we already have a taken film. I mean, we already have a, a fictional version, but I think the biggest danger is, is once people really research this and learn, you know, it's BS, then they're like, you know what, anything coming out of this human trafficking stuff is BS. So then they kind of turn it off moving forward, right? Serious people do at least. So that's my concern. With regards to... Tim Ballard's origin story. Where, where is the lie there? Um, I guess we could start with this character of um, Earl Buchanan, who was arrested, and he always tells people, do your own research into Earl Buchanan. Can you talk a little bit about Earl Buchanan and where there's sort of a twisting of the facts? 
Well, sure. I mean, for 10 years, Tim Ballard and a lot of people say, well, who, well, everyone takes, uh, you know, creative liberties with films. And it's like, well, listen, he's told this story for 10 years as a true story. And what Tim Ballard says is that he had seen some intelligence about this boy that was in this uh, pedophile trafficking ring. And he happens to be just happens to be at the border. He actually says to, I think, Glenn Beck that it was actually um, providence or some sort of divine, uh, you know, call it what you will is what he says. But he happens to recognize the boy. They stop him. The kid jumps out of the car, runs to him and jumps in his arms and says, I don't belong here. And Tim Ballard says that this kid was kidnapped when he was an infant. He's been with Earl Buchanan since he was an infant. And then right there, this kid jumping out of the car, jumping in his arms. People don't question him on this. And he's supposedly kidnapped from his sister at this time. But yet he has this necklace that his sister gave him that gave him inspiration that they would be together that actually has uh, one of the books of Timothy on it. So imagine that. It's even got Tim's name on it. And he gives Tim this necklace and asks him to find his sister. Now, this is this is really the plot line of kind of Sound of Freedom. But Tim Ballard has told this story for 10 years. It goes back to Glenn Beck years ago. On the first episode, he promotes Tim Ballard's story. None of this is true. Um, he even mentions Earl Buchanan's name. He says, look it up. The case is a name, guy named Earl Buchanan, notorious trafficker. Well, Buchanan wasn't a trafficker. He was a pedophile. He was a serial pedophile that had groomed the family of this kid. This kid wasn't kidnapped. The grandmother knew about it. You look at the Border Patrol statements and court records. Um, she knew Buchanan since he was a kid. I mean, this is how long this family had known each other. And he's coming up through... Um, Calexico border. And what happens is the border patrol agents, first of all, the kid's sitting on his lap. And then number two, the border patrol agents ask him for the ID for the kid. He doesn't have the birth certificate or ID. So they start going. They have you, you cut out there. The, the audio cut out for some reason. How's that? That's good. Okay. So uh, they're pulling up to the classical border Border Patrol agents ask him for IDs. They don't have an. He doesn't have an ID for the kid. Now he does. They do end up finding it, but uh, they have him go to the secondary unit for physical inspection. What happens is they find a camera and they're just trying to verify who this boy is because they're coming through the border. And the first thing that they see there is uh, Buchanan is performing a sexual act on the kid. It's disgusting. And then this is when they arrest Buchanan. They separate the boy from Buchanan. And the boy becomes, they say in the you know the record, the boy became visibly upset. Tim Ballard's not even there. You know, he's uh, 45 minutes away in Calexico. And where he becomes involved in this case is they call him in because he's in the investigations unit at Homeland Security. And he has to come collect the video and then establish actual like um, custody. So he's talking to Buchanan. Buchanan's not really talking to him. The only thing Ballard, he's, Buchanan says to Ballard is, it's not what you think it is. And Ballard goes, well, if it's not what you think it is, then you would talk to us. That's sort of the end of it. There's no mention of the boy, no necklace, anything. And uh, if you look through the trial, the sister supposedly kidnapped. Well, when they called home, it says right in the records, the sister answered the phone. <laughs> gives the phone to the grandmother. So she's not even kidnapped. 
And so you got lies right off the bat. The boy was never kidnapped. He was groomed. So what message does that tell people? Oh, well, they look out for your kid being snatched. Well, no, he was groomed by Buchanan. He was a serial pedophile. He uh, molested a lot of kids, groomed the families there. We ended up talking to Buchanan's son. He was sexually abused. I was going to ask about was that. A monster. Yeah. We end up talking to him. He says, but his dad was a millionaire. He owned a construction company and real estate in Banning, California. He uh, got along well with the Hispanic population because sometimes he would hire, you know, uh, people that didn't have, you know, their records or weren't citizens. So, you know, this was all uh, the big warning here is him grooming and, you know, becoming a trusted member. These people came out and spoke in his defense in some instances. So, you know, this isn't this monster trafficker coming to the uh, border. This is the bubbly friend that everybody loved. And to and me, that, it takes the it takes the valor from the two border agents who did their job, you know? Yeah, I was going to say that seems very important, you know? Like, it's one thing to say, you know, this Earl Buchanan character uh, was grooming children and there was abuse going on. It's another to start talking about trafficking when trafficking isn't what was happening. Yeah, um, this is another thing we've talked about, and I got a couple of articles coming out if we really want to talk about this subject. And I think Hollywood and also the media dropped the ball. They had a real opportunity, but they started to say, no, oh, this is a QAnon movie, a Q, you know, adjacent movie. And it's like, well, there's so much wrong with this that we could have talked about from the beginning. You guys just dismiss it. So it makes it look like you don't even care. <laughs> You know, and there's a lot wrong with it. But if you want to really, this is the problem today. We've mixed up so many definitions and terms. And, you know, we're calling groomers traffickers. We're calling pedophiles traffickers. And it's like, if you just correct it, or, you know, these are two different things. They think you're a pedo lover. It's just insane. And we need to use honest language. Describe what's going on. If we want to warn our kids, we have to use proper terminology. You lose credibility with your children because, you know, it's like the dare program when I was growing up, you know, they're telling you marijuana, you're going to kill your parents. If you smoke it, stay away from it. It's a gateway drug. Reefer madness. And, you know, yeah. 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 And it doesn't happen. So then all of a sudden it's like, well, none of this is probably true. So, you know, everything's a lie and you don't take it at face value anymore. And then you don't take it seriously at all. It's, you know, there's a lot of danger to this, I think, than what people think, because it's not raising a real awareness it's like you know it's 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 creating this fake scenario that could happen while something else may be happening that you're not paying attention to i mainly know about the sort of earl buchanan side of the story and that you know the necklace story being a lie and whatnot as you've reported along with lynn packer at american crime journal i haven't been able to go through every uh one of your reports on um Tim Ballard and OUR, but what are what are some of the other big maybe uh, lies or or fibs that are being told uh, when it comes to this sort of sound of freedom narrative and the narrative around Tim Ballard? Well, the biggest one that we're really going at now, because this was part of the criminal investigations and OUR, OUR was under a criminal investigation. This was from... the grand jury investigation? Yep. We had a grand jury investigation through the Department of Justice and then the Davis County criminal investigation. Now, how the Davis County criminal investigation comes about is in August of 2019, there's a whiteboard meeting. 
I got pictures of it. I finally released. Vice released the redacted version. They kept other people's names off of it. It was in one of Lynn Packer's reports a long time ago, but we didn't want it to get circled around because we were asked by law enforcement not to. They're saying, we got this as part of an investigation. Can you kind of just not throw out all the evidence? We don't witnesses harassed and stuff. Well, now that they say that it's closed or OUR says that they said it was closed through this letter, I've decided to go ahead and forward and publish it. But what Tim Ballard did is he summons all his uh, top lieutenants from OUR to Paul Hutchinson's house. And Paul Hutchinson, he's actually portrayed by Eduardo Verastegui in the film Sound of Freedom. That's who plays Paul Hutchinson, because Paul Hutchinson's about as vital as Tim Ballard is to OUR. He's a millionaire that really believed in Tim Ballard. And I mean, he even even though they're no longer uh, friends and they don't get along, Paul really thinks that Tim Ballard was a godsend. He'll tell you this if you ever talk to him. He thinks, you know, that there was a miracle or something that happened here. But anyway, he summoned all these people to his house and 10 most trusted associates or so. He makes them all sign a non-disclosure agreement. So they're all kind of like, well, what's going on? And he brings them into a room with a whiteboard. And essentially what he's doing is he's showing them exactly, you know, this whiteboard is... Um, and they also have the ops leader, Dave Lopez, who's another big figure in the OER early on. And they signed the non-disclosure agreements. But really, the plan he was showing them was to grow the church. What was on this whiteboard, though? I didn't catch that. Well, that's that. what I'm getting into. Okay. Well, that's what I'm getting into. Um, what it is, it's his master plan that he shows. And what he's showing is he's going to help grow the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints financially and in membership. And then underneath, his goal was not only to make himself millions of dollars, but to really increase his popularity among the Mormon elites, like the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, because he'd become real good friends with the, you know, his name is Russell Ballard, no relation to Tim, but M. Russell Ballard is the president, acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, which is the number two guy in the LDS Church. It shows a financial connection that Russell Ballard invests in this, and this whiteboard is going to show that all of Tim's nonprofits, like the Nazarene Fund. Um, Operation Underground Railroad, what it would do is it was a labyrinth of nonprofits that would eventually go into Tim Ballard's for-profits business where he could get paid. And then what he was thinking for like Paul Hutchinson to do and Dave Lopez is that they start their own child rescue nonprofits, but they would have to give him 50% of uh, all their revenue, you know, because he started it. God told him. And this is literally what he's telling these people. So real quick, the Nazarene Fund, that's the Glenn Beck Associated Organization, right? Correct. That was an association. Um, it was to rescue Christians from persecution in like the Middle East. Um, they supposedly were the, a major rescuer of Afghanistan people during the uh, fall of Afghanistan when we pulled out in 2020. We have not been able to independently verify that they were involved. State Department says they never contracted them. There's no country uh, diplomatic relation in the area because they would take the refugees, obviously, in another country. I mean, this cannot be confirmed by anybody. So they raised $40 million saying they were going to do this. So we can't find it. So going back to, you know, you, you talked about these four profits that Tim Ballard has. Mm -hmm. How much do we know how much money he's been making um, from all of this? 
We don't. And the reason why is, I mean, if you see his home, I mean, it's just so luxurious now. And he's got nine kids. He's adopted kids from Haiti. On paper, he's making about $300,000 a year from OUR. Then he says, well, I'm not going to take a salary no more. I'll just make money off my books like they're really selling that many and his speaking engagements. Well, then coming up in 2021 he gets a five hundred and like fifty seven thousand dollar salary or thirty seven thousand dollars and we have no clue because if you read how some of these money is getting moved into like he'll pay his other nonprofits with another nonprofit like he'll give a million dollars to the nazarene front from our but it doesn't say exactly where that money's go to it's not like an itemized list of hey we bought supplies food so we don't know it's hard and it's just channeling up it's just and it's exactly what he said in this meeting it's a labyrinth to really kind of conceal it makes it very hard to see where this money's going could you talk a little bit more about the i guess uh sort of political angles to all of this because i do feel like with something like Sound of Freedom and Tim Ballard's sort of story that he's telling, there is a political element. You know, people say, oh, this oh, yeah. isn't political. But then you look at it and I mean, Tim Ballard was saying, oh, see, you know, this part of the border wall worked because that's how we were able to capture uh, the traffickers. So talk about the politics that comes up when we're talking about Tim Ballard and um, OUR. Well, first, the biggest lie I probably that I could think of I haven't said yet was that when he did this Buchanan arrest, this was in 2006, he doesn't quit Homeland Security till 2013. So, I mean, he didn't rush to save this girl even by his own narrative. But he was he was a Department of Homeland Security agent during the Obama administration. Um, we have on good authority that he cried when Obama was elected. He even got a couple of Instagram um, where he posted that he supported Obama's border policy because Obama had a very aggressive border policy. He deported more people than any other president combined. And so um, he says he's proud of Obama's border policy. I have it on the website. I probably need to feature it more so people could see it. But Ballard hated Trump, just like Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck rejected Trump. And I mean, look at what happened to Glenn Beck. It almost tanked him. He almost went bankrupt. Um, once it became apparent that Ballard was not um, taking off to where he wanted to be, and he got called out for his nonsense, he really started to adopt some more of the QAnon and attract them. In fact, they say it's not a political movie, but for three years, two, three years, they fundraise at QAnon events like the Freedom Forum and the health policy when they're talking about the vaccines. I was going to say real quick, too. Even though, I, like I said, I wouldn't call it a QAnon movie, maybe QAnon right. adjacent, he does flirt with the QAnon stuff. You know, like in a oh, recent yeah. interview, he was mentioning adrenochrome, you know, which is a yeah. big part of the QAnon. But go on. Oh, absolutely. And I try to tell people, they get mad. And I'm like, listen, this is this is really rooted in Jewish blood libel. I'm like, this was uh, something that went around a thousand years ago where they thought Jews were rounding up Christian kids, snatching them and drinking their blood. And they started executing Jews and persecuting them and prosecuting them. And now we're kind of doing that, except we're saying, uh, and we know we've heard him kind of say the Jews. That's part of the right wing conspiracy is the Jews. And, you know, some of them will go into that. Some don't. 
But um, no, he is very much involved in right wing politics now. Um, he's very much, uh, you know, they have like the freedom forums that they were going to. A lot of the stop the steal like meetings that they were having, he was there as a featured speaker. And then when he would be questioned about it, he would say, well, I was just there to talk about the trafficking stuff. And it's like, why would you even appear at this? So for them to say it's not a QAnon, you know, not even affiliated with QAnon, that's it really gained momentum through the QAnon movement. This is where it was being featured. Dennis Rice, actually, who uh, in Wano Seven, who uh, is a major QAnon figure, Dennis Rice was an executive at Disney. He left in 2007. He had the rights to this film for years, and they were raising money on this so they could get enough funds to distribute it. We don't know where those funds went, and I guarantee you they always said their stretch goal was always $2 million, but at each one of these events, they would raise all this money. Where did all that money go that you were supposed to use? Angel Studios did the distribution. Where did that money go? So, yeah, it's it's very much a political gateway. I would say it's a gateway for anyone that's not – if they're under a rock and they don't understand what's going on in today's world – if they see this movie and begin to research it, it reads them right into the QAnon conspiracies and QAnon adjacent conspiracies. I, I feel like I interrupted you because we got into the QAnon aspect. Is is there an anti-immigration aspect to all of this as well? Yes. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that too when you mentioned it. Um, yes, there's very much an anti-immigration because Ballard was very much for the wall. He, uh, I think he was even going to try to exploit it for fundraising, but he did use it at fundraisers saying we really need a wall. But his own real story about Earl Buchanan, we go back to that. Here we have a border policy that works back in 2006 that catches this kid that's not being trafficked or kidnapped, but a kid that's actually being groomed and molested and had permission to be with this. So this is a story of the border working, and he's ignoring that aspect, going for the border wall. But yes, you hear him say all the time he actually met with Trump, and we think he started actually saying that once Trump gained in popularity around 2019, you really start seeing him go full force. And he testifies before Congress about Liliana's story, which was just shameful and disgusting. He perjures himself, and then he goes and meets with Trump to support the border wall. And this is when Tim Ballard's name, like the anti-human trafficking task force in Washington and the advisor to Trump for the last two years he was in office. I also was wondering if you could speak a little bit about a figure that comes up in some of the reporting, um, Sean Rays, who I guess was a, an attorney general in Utah. Utah, yep. Sean Reyes, oh, well, um, we kind of left that out. He's actually even portrayed in Sound of Freedom as well. Um, him and Ballard are real good friends. That's actually how Lynn Packer got involved in this. Lynn Packer was a reporter with KSL and producer, he had retired. But he was writing for a website, and Sean Reyes um, actually endorses Tim Ballard right after he wins the election for attorney general. So that's where Lynn Packer's like, well, who's this Tim Ballard guy? He says that ICAC, which is the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, you know, is behind OUR. They actually released a statement that they weren't. This actually became an investigation into Sean Reyes for lying to people, saying, hey, ICAC backs Operation Underground Railroad. Um, he was actually under an investigation for that by his own office at one point. But uh, no, they're real good friends. If you watch Operation Tucson, 
he's with Tim Ballard down in Haiti. He's with him in a lot of these operations. And it brought questions from even conservative circles because it's like, what are you doing doing on these raids and going down and putting yourself at risk when you've got to be here in Utah as attorney general and you're connecting yourself to this? Because they say they want to do a movie on Haiti. If they did a movie on Haiti, there would be so much that came out about that if journalists really dug into that story, because there's a lot of bad things that did happen there. Can you delve into that a little bit more? Like, what? where has the media, you're talking about maybe the media having dropped the ball in some cases, and there are real things we could be digging into. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So instead of just dusting this off, like I would read, we would we would be linked to a couple of articles, and I think it was like Slate and The Independent, The Guardian. I think um, – I forget who else linked us, but Vanity Fair actually does this great article yesterday that actually delves into it, talks about our reporting, the Buchanan case, Vice's reporting, that finally someone with you know clout is looking into this. But yeah, they, they blow off this film, and they say, well, it's just a QAnon story. It's Q-adjacent, whatever. But – the whole thing is a lie. I mean, we're really rallying up people on a lie and spreading false information. If you take QAnon away, that doesn't exist. If this is just a film on its own. It's still spread in fear and panic, being told as a true story. Um, and the way they marketed it, I mean, like I said, Jim Caviezel the day before, he's like, imagine you're with your family on the 4th of July. And you're sitting there and then you look away and someone grabs your kid and you don't know what happened. And, you know, it's that's just not how it works. And so it's not educating the public. Um, everyone's going to panic if their kid's snatched anyway. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I don't know what that's educating him. But get this. What's the one thing they tell you you need to do to stop trafficking at the end of the film? Well, they say you need to buy another movie ticket for someone to come see this movie. It's like, are you serious? After they spend all this time saying law enforcement has too much red tape, they can't do anything about it. So it's like promoting this idea idea that Tim Ballard is the only man that can save the children. And I have no record of him ever really saving a child in all the years, all the organizations I've talked to overseas. Um, but there's been a lot of people that's been hurt. There's been a lot of things. He's worked with the most corrupt country, most corrupt regime on the planet, Haiti. And there's just so much there that um, journalists would have a field day with it. I mean, you got the attorney general that they gave awards to. Mia Love was there. So was Congressman Burgess Owens, Sean Reyes. They're giving awards to the Haitian attorney general. He resigns of corruption three weeks later in Haiti. Then he's implicated in the assassination of the president of Haiti about a year later. So, you know, it's like, are you are you kidding me? So you guys are propping these guys up. But there's a lot of evidence, and part of the FBI investigation was is that they bribed a lot of Haitian judges. There is a man that, uh, and we don't know what ever happened to him, but Tim was looking for this boy who's sort of been the showcase of the OUR, I would say the premier case of OUR that markets him as the Marty Gardy story. Supposedly, Janet Russin, this uh in that whiteboard I told you about, she was the head of one of the nonprofits in that, but she's a psychic. Janet Russin um, thought that they had a lead. They get this guy, Carlos Bristol. Um, there's stories that he was tortured for over a period of 36 hours. We can't find him anymore. Um, there's two people associated with OUR down there that have since been murdered. We don't know if OUR is involved or anything, but there's a lot of shady business down there that people need to investigate. And, uh, they're not. And it's all associated around this Marty Gardy story of a kid. We don't even know if he's really been kidnapped. 
That's just what they think. We've talked a little bit about, you know, Tim Ballard and people like Glenn Beck having an association with the uh, LDS church, uh, the Mormons. And I know that obviously uh, people like Seth Andrews with the Thinking Atheist podcast um, have taken an interest in this story because of the sort of Mormon angle. I, I'm not one to like um, attack any like one religion. I myself am like a, a fallen Catholic, so I, I used to be more observant, but oh. now I'm not. So I, I don't me like too. to like attack people's like religion. No, but how too. much does uh, the, the sort of Mormon angle play into all this, I guess? Oh, me too. Um, one thing I'll say about Seth Andrews and our upcoming interview, um, I think it comes out Tuesday. Um, we don't really get into a lot of that. Um, we talk more, stick more to the sound of freedom and the storyline of it. But it does very much play into the whole Mormon ideology. If, uh, you know, to kind of explain Mormon ideology, it's really kind of, uh, it was founded really on white supremacy. If you kind of know the story, they believe they were a lost tribe of Israel that came over here years ago and uh there was a big war with uh between the nephites lamanites and eventually the people of color kind of took over which would have been the indians well they were given the curse of cain black skin and they had a sort of belief that uh there's white and delightsome so the whiter you were the more pure you were they've kind of drowned out some of that language but it's still there very much that story in the mormon uh, book but there's very much the sort of white hero white savior um you know white man's burden story i mean it came out in 1820 1830 this is around the time of what was it they called it like the second uh protestant like revolution so a lot of these ideas kind of pipeline into the lds church so it does have very much a mormon angle and to give you kind of an idea i mean just think of how disgusting it really is like a black person that called out tim ballard on twitter one time said why would you name your organization operation underground railroad i mean it has no association with the underground railroad and there's a painting of ballard and paul hutchinson and Ballard's wife walking down railroad tracks as painting. And here's like Harriet Tubman and all these actual abolitionists kneeling before them. I mean, how? I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? And uh, they see nothing wrong with this. If you kind of say anything or bring up the Mormon angle, we get a lot of people that are like, oh, you guys are, you know, you're on a story, but you're just bashing Mormons too much. And it's like, but this is part of the mythos. The, Tim Ballard is playing into that. That's how we won over the Mormon leadership, is sort of propped up as a hero. So it does play an angle. It's not attacking him. It's just really kind of how it, it's followed along. And he's used the Mormon church to tell people, I've been blessed to do this. I mean, if you read, listen to him, he tells a story of how he had this uh, electrocution in his brain where God was telling him to save the children. And he actually had one of uh, M. Russell Ballard blessed him, laid, it, laid of a hands on his head and gave him this sort of uh, divine uh, blessing to go rescue the kids. So this is very much a Mormon story. And when you have a, when you have a Mormon apostle say this, these are people that can change the doctrine of the church. They can change the whole policy this is huge. This would be like the Pope in the Catholic Church telling me, hey, this guy is the one that's going to feed the children. A person we haven't mentioned in talking about all of this is the producer of Sound of Freedom. And I don't want to mispronounce his name, but I believe it's Eduardo Verastegui. <clears throat> Eduardo Verastegui. Okay. 
So Eduardo Verastegui, how this happens, and I see a lot, uh, there's a lot of QAnon people that have kind of attacked Tim Ballard too. You see a few right-wing websites coming after him because he's Mormon. They don't like that. You know, they're straight evangelists. But their big thing was Carlos Slim and the Clintons, and they're trying to make a big deal about that. Um, but then Trump actually screens this film last night. They have a big party. He's sitting there on Tim's podcast, Trump. They interview him last night. And there's actually a part where Eduardo Verastegui and Ballard are sitting and they actually refer to themselves as like Moses or Christ. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is just getting a little bit too ridiculous. But Eduardo Verastegui, he was a... Uh, a wannabe model and actor. He played in some like low-class B movie called Chase and Pappy. And um, that was like his biggest moment, but he's a Mexican actor and a devout Catholic all of a sudden. But uh, he had made headlines many years ago for dating Ricky Martin. Before Ricky Martin even came out as gay, um, they were connected. Eduardo denies it. I don't even think Ricky Martin ever mentioned it because he was usually ignoring the press. But what had happened was, like I said, when – and this is like when people say, well, Carlos Slim invested in it. You have to understand a lot of people invested it in the Mormon community. They try to pitch the story to Hollywood from day one. This was not like uh, you know Tim wanted to be this to be a reality TV show. He pitches it to a lot of the Mormon relate – Jared uh, – Gerald Mullen, who was uh, – the producer of Schindler's List, you know, he was there. They talked about it. They were going to back this film. The two producers of The Abolitionist, Darren Fletcher and Chet Thomas, Fletcher Productions, they shot The Abolitionist, and they had a falling out with Tim right away. We have the text messages of him calling Tim the biggest liar in the world. Um, they tried to sell it to Hollywood. Hollywood didn't want it. So then they go down into Mexico and they're pitching this film to get people to invest in it. And back in 2015-16, Carlos Slim invested into it, I think $100,000. I mean, there's so many people that invested into it if we're just going to play the game of guilt by association because he met the Clintons or whatever. It's No, he invested in it because he wanted to make money. That's what they did. They pitched this film, but they really get down into the Mexican movie circuit. Eduardo Varela to gets attached to it he run he's running some scam production company in miami that actually is getting like the credit i think it's called santa fe films but it's actually folded years ago <laughs> it's supposed to be the film that's produced it but he's like tim ballard he's got a big head He's got to be in the film. So they put Eduardo Verastegui, this Mexican guy in it, to play Paul Hutchinson, who's like this straight-laced, like, white Mormon. So it's just crazy. Yeah. So he's in it as Paul Hutchinson. So that's really how it got in the Mexican angle. But Eduardo Verastegui, he's, he's this allegation. Uh, yep. Not to interrupt you, but he's promoting it pretty heavily in Mexico too, right? Like the Spanish oh, yeah. language version. Yeah. Yeah, he's running the circuit. Um, Catholic. He's uh, he swore a vow of celibacy, and then some information came out about him uh, molesting some boys on one channel. He denies it adamantly. We made a little clip video of it talking about what we could find. Um, journalist Javier, uh, I think his name is uh, Javier Seri, uh, Seriani, did a piece on it. And then he has a TV show. So, yeah, he's in the circuit. He actually met the Pope. Um, but he's really this devout Catholic of almost the occult side of it. He gets really deep into, like, Catholic beliefs, very anti-abortion, um, very much follows this kind of opus day theory of Catholicism. So it's, 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 pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. 
Now, was there anything else before I, I mentioned that uh, he was promoting it in in uh, Mexico? Was there anything else you were going to say before that about Eduardo that's important to know? No, I was just going to say that, um, he, you know, you did the promotion and then I was going to get more into some of the allegations that have been made against him around this time a couple of years ago. But uh, no, um, he got hooked up with Tim. They put a lot of money into it. Um, he had a lot of connections, like with Carlos Slim, who's, you know, one of the rich, I think the richest man in Mexico. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, they marketed this movie. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, I did an article on Andrew McCubbins, who went to prison for scamming a hundred million dollars out of medicare fraud he invested a hundred thousand dollars into this film so this film i mean they've been investing in it since about 2015 so there's even t people that have parted ways with tim like paul hutchinson who invested i want to say close to six hundred thousand dollars into this film um they've been parted ways since that whiteboard meeting in 2000 or yeah 2016 or 2019 i'm sorry the film was completed in 2018. And one of the things mm -hmm. I always hear from supporters is, oh, you know, 20th Century Fox was going to uh, put this movie out, but they shelved it. Um, what's the story on why this movie, uh, you know, didn't come out until now? And how do you respond to the people saying, oh, Hollywood wanted to suppress this? Or what? why did Hollywood reject this movie? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, uh, Lynn's actually got a report coming out. I'm not going to go too much into it, but it was not shelved or rejected. Um, it's just best I'll say is it's kind of one of those things where, you know, this is when Disney's buying 26th Century Fox. People don't realize there's hundreds of movies that are sitting on the shelf. Um, it's not like it's like this was their premiere movie. This was a, a movie financed all over the place. You know, on the surface, it's with a bunch of unknowns. Um, Jim Caviezel, they say, oh, he was uh, made as a, you know, he was he was rejected by Hollywood and his agents. It's like he was a B-list actor by this time. Before he started saying like the adrenochroming stuff, he played in a few B movies. I mean, it wasn't like he's this huge Hollywood star. So when I when people say that, I say, who? What's the attraction? You have a bunch of former stars in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Servino's in it. I mean, she hasn't been popular since like 2090s, 2000s. So, I mean... Uh, yeah, Mira Servino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it's not like, um, you know, it was. It had like Tom Cruise in it. And they're like, oh my God, it's talking about pedophilia. We have to shelve it. It just got caught in the mix. Len will get into it. But I will say, if they really want to complain about it, Dennis Rice, a former executive at Disney, bought it. For, he left Disney in 2007. He had the rights to the film in North for North America for years, and they raised money at QAnon events. They said they only needed two million dollars to get you know distribution of this film, and um, I would estimate they probably. Uh, raised five million over the course of the last few years doing this and why aren't they attacking dennis rice when why didn't he release it he had the money but they just made this was a big fundraiser for years and literally i thought we didn't think it was we just thought it was a fundraising gimmick at this point we kept hearing about it but it was like it's not coming out so yeah it, there was no conspiracy here it's just uh lynn goes into that quite a bit though in his next report so one other thing I wanted to get into was, uh, you know, it seems like Tim Ballard has a lot of falling outs um, over the years. I mean, he's not even associated with OUR anymore, correct? Well, yeah, he well, here's the sad part. So he was uh, forced out of OUR a week before this movie was released. Um, 
Vice News did the story. They're still working on it. But what I can tell you is what they have said. Employees had written a letter about a inappropriate relationship Chim had with an employee, OUR employee, while they were on a mission. OUR didn't listen to it because obviously Tim Ballard, they're not going to challenge him. Um, we've, I've, like in the Carly Gousset case, I had an elected county official contact OUR about just how John Lines was talking to her and said, you know, hey, I'm just concerned the way you talked to me. They sent her a cease and desist. Don't talk about this. Um, you're lying. I mean, it was just very accusatory just for a complaint. I mean, and it's like, think about this. If someone is associated in my organization and there's a complaint, I'm going to investigate it. I'm going to see, you know, what's going on. If it's wrongdoing, I'm going to fire a more disciplinary action. They immediately reject it as a lie with no investigation. What happened, though, was this letter went around to major OUR donors. So the OUR donors contacts uh, OUR board. Tim Ballard then resigns after that. But they don't mention this right before the movie's coming out, the Tim Ballard. They're promoting it with Tim Ballard. Here's OUR with Tim Ballard. Here's Angel Studios. There's some messages that uh, that we believe the uh, Harmon brothers at Angel Studios knew about this. Uh, someone will probably report more into that. But um, we have that going on. So they knew about this. It wasn't like a secret. And they don't mention anything about it. And this is a serious allegation about trafficking. And then, you know, while it doesn't explicitly say in the report yet what happened, an inappropriate relationship with an employee, we kind of know where this is heading. So, <laughs> you know, uh, with that, and then Glenn Beck just let him go from the Nazarene Fund um, just a few days ago. So this isn't just uh, Glenn Beck put him on. They were real close. Um, so Glenn Beck uh, did not just fire a man who's responsible for the most popular film in America right now over something stupid. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> There's also this character, uh, I guess, the Batman. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think you guys at, at American Crime Journal, I'm looking at the article right now, sort of uh, exposed who this guy was. And uh, even he, I think, has issues with Ballard. Yes. Uh, so we we figured out who this guy was. We had insiders with OUR because, again, Tim, you have to remember something. Um, well, there's people within OUR that don't like Tim Ballard. And if correct. like, yeah. Well, here's something I'll tell you right around the and I, I won't say it because we haven't reported it. We haven't got all the facts vetted yet. But think about this. You have Carlos Rodriguez, John Lines, who was responsible for building the domestic end of OUR. He was a former Homeland Security agent. He had all the relationships with the police departments. They lost all 24. I think they had 27 and then 24 police agencies cut ties with OUR. They won't even accept money from OUR. I don't know if you've seen the Norman County City Council where they actually read one of my articles during the city council and they told the police, we don't want to do business with these people. And then he contacted the chief of police said, well, I'll talk to Davis County about this. Cause remember no one in the mainstream media reported about the criminal investigation. So the head of police of Norman, Oklahoma contacts, uh, Davis County, uh, Troy Rollins, who is the district attorney, and he admits, yeah, there is a criminal investigation, but we can't release the details, obviously. So they say we're not going to accept this $25,000 device that was supposed to be able to download contents from a phone to look for pictures or messages in relation to human trafficking. 
So that just shows you that law enforcement don't even want their money. But keep in mind that his sister-in-law, Teva Ware, was the CFO. You had Carlos Rodriguez, who was the head of the Missing and Exploited Children Task Force, who had 200 and something ar- arrests with the uh, pedophile bust and net nanny. The, uh, they were doing stings over there for guys online, supposedly looking for sex with children. And um, he quits. Tava Ware and John Lines all at the same time. And then they formed their own company, but never update the website. <laughs> you know, and this is the time during the DOJ investigation, if you get my drift. And when we got a video of Ballard getting ready to come out saying I was betrayed by someone I really trusted. And it, he says it floored him so much that he passed out and woke up with a shirt off. And we got a video of him talking about this. But uh, yeah, you know, um, it is what it is. I mean, this is just a whole board of John Lines, who's the president, Tava Ware, Carlos Rodriguez, right as the criminal investigation comes around. Um, I actually interviewed Carlos Rodriguez, and I can say this for a fact. I, I won't speak on the others just yet. I interviewed Carlos Rodriguez. I just happened to catch him just as he's getting he was flying into Salt Lake City and getting ready to meet with uh, federal investigators the next morning. So I just happened to catch him the one time I text him, ask him if he wanted to talk. He says, well, we better do this before I talk to these investigators tomorrow. So I spent about three hours on the phone with him, talking to him. And then uh, that's how we kind of knew the investigation had begun at that point. So yeah, the, everyone with Tim Ballard, Paul Hutchinson, who's a big ally, he has a, he, he the ego and things like that, that they mentioned the lies. And I mean, that's another thing they say. He just lies about things that people just wouldn't lie about. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, did you just get that cup of coffee? No, no, no. And then found out he bought it five hours ago. It's like, why did you lie about that? <laughs> you know, it's just stupid stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. So the Batman character that I mentioned, I guess it's, oh, it, yeah. you guys revealed him to be uh, Stephen T. Cass. And I'm, I'm not sure that he comes off uh, well, in your reporting on him either, but he, he even doesn't like O-U-R and uh, Tim Ballard says they turned greedy and went Hollywood. What's the story on that? Oh, that's actually changed now. So um, what happens is we were reporting, Len had revealed who he was in one of his reports a long time ago, and I'd been republishing some of all the, all of, um Packer's old reports that I was putting on the website. Yeah, because Lynn has been doing this for like 10 years, you know. Right. So I started putting it up. There was a report about the raid in Columbia and just briefly mentioned Stephen Cass and his organization, Breaking Chains. He sends me this long email talking shit saying, oh, well, I don't know anything about Tim. They're all Hollywood. They got greedy. And to be honest about this guy, he has worked hard to try to prevent some of these cases. He's not rich by any means. He's not wealthy in this. He's been doing this a while. But now it's like as this movie's coming out, OUR on their website's got this sort of story that they do this profile of him and he's sitting in the dark in black. They're interviewing him and it's like, we've already revealed who you are, man. It's like it's just been public for a while. So, yeah, he sent us a pretty nasty email the other day and was not too happy about me reporting on him again. I, I mentioned his name again. So, yeah. Just a, a few more things briefly here. Sure. Uh, one thing I was interested in, this isn't the only case you've covered of, well, that, that you and Lynn have covered of, uh, you know, essentially these sort of sham uh, trafficking claims, um, even yeah. sham victims. 
Could you talk a little bit about these other figures that you've covered, like Elizabeth Blue and how they uh, tie into maybe a bigger picture? Like, what, why is it important we know about these different cases? Well, okay, Eliza Blue, um, that was actually interesting. So I knew a lot about her a couple of years ago. So um, she had become this sort of huge an uh, anti-trafficking figure. She ran with uh, Yang, uh, Andrew Yang's ch uh, Yang gang for a while, and then all of a sudden she becomes this Trumpist. Well, yeah, she's tied uh, up with Elon Musk now too, right? Well, she was tied up with Elon Musk. Um, if you check this out, so um, I did a report. I finally reveal the truth about her. Um, she was the uh, her dad was a big GOP figure in Illinois politics, a congressman. He actually ran for lieutenant governor as the uh, MAGA candidate to replace Bruce Rauner, I believe, uh, a few years back. She was a homeschooled girl. Um, she's in newspaper clippings. We could kind of trace where she was. She was on like a couple reality TV shows, whatever. Anyway, she becomes this rockets into this big human trafficking star that Elon Musk actually brings up to be like his uh, advisor on human trafficking policy. I write this brief article. Um, I kind of told some people in the circles, the right wing goes completely ballistic and pissed about it, especially the fandom menace. Somehow this got into like the Star Wars circles. They're like the anti-woke Disney, anti-woke Star Wars. And um, oh, like what's his name? Who's the quartering gets into this real bad? I expose her and they're all upset that Elon doesn't do a background check on her. Then everyone checks her out to be this human trafficking fraud. But basically, she's running around saying that she was trafficked by a certain gang in Chicago and they were on a gang territory and she was in shootings and every day. Well, I knew some of the people she was talking about of that organization. I checked into it. Another girl, her name was Carrie. I don't remember her last name, but to give her credit, she's the first one that brought her to my attention two years before this came out. But she wasn't that big of a profile character for me to just call out. And then at the time, we had the Me Too movement. So I'm like, do I say something or do I not? Coco Berthman, on the other hand, was a little bit different. So Coco Berthman, she said uh, her mom trafficked her. Her mom murdered her sister. Her mom forced her to murder her brother when she was nine years old. Um, she's from Germany. She'd come over here to the United States. She gets embroiled and becomes this huge like sensation in the trafficking circuit. She talks to Elizabeth Smart. She go, Maluth Foundation fi uh, has this big anti-trafficking campaign. You have Senator Mike Lee there, Congressman er Burgess Owens. You have Elizabeth Frazier, Coco Berthman. Um, the other lady there, I forget her name right at the time. I, I was just wanted to, not to interrupt you real quick, but I wanted to apologize. I think I was confusing Elizabeth Frazier and Eliza Blue. They're, they're two different, you know, cases. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but oh, go on. We'll get into, I'll say, I'll tell you about Eliza, Elizabeth Frazier in a moment. That's, that's a bit more interesting in, to me, but... Coco Berthman, actually, you know, they she becomes a star. She's actually got hooked up with OUR for a little bit. Ballard didn't like her because he didn't think her story was legitimate. But again, he wasn't going to say anything. She comes up through the Maloof Foundation. She actually has a TED Talk at BYU. Well, anyway, um, what triggered our story with that is we get a tip that someone goes to the um, Davis County prosecutor's office saying that they were raped and sexually assaulted by Tim Ballard. 
we get tipped off about this. So we're like, what the hell is going on? We were told we're sure the story is not true. Because Coco Berthman has a big enough mouth, we found out who it was. And she actually used some of our reporting because we had reported about a sexual assault at OUR of an OUR volunteer. She proceeds to say that that was her from our reporting. That's not true. She was not the person we were talking about. So um, it took a couple of days to thought about it. Lynn starts looking into her because he goes to Germany once a year. So he actually meets with her mom. He uh, talks to the dead sister. For some reason, this dead sister is still alive. And uh, we really trouble having doing this report because we're like, do we do it? We knew we were going to get blasted. So he says, well, let's do it. He releases the video. I release the reports. We're getting backlash all from the survivors, the Maloof Foundation. They're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You guys are crazy. Chris Hansen had her on. It was just nuts. Right wings attacking us for being pedophiles. Well, lo and behold, she gets cancer a few months later after this all dies down. Then they start attacking us again. They're like, oh, now she's dying of cancer. And you guys, you guys owe her an apology, blah, blah, blah. Well, that ends up being a big scam. She started scamming people for cancer. She actually got prosecuted with it. And actually, two days ago, she had it expunged because Utah wanted nothing to do with this case. It was very much a political case. There's actually a podcast Lynn was on talking about it. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she it was a big mess. And now everyone knows she's a fraud. The human trafficking stuff wasn't true. Elizabeth Frazier, on the other hand, this story, um, it's troubling because of the accusations she's made against um, her family, saying they trafficked her. Somehow they're trafficking her when she was in the bed with her husband. She would still have to leave and go be trafficked, and he wouldn't know about it because, like, who doesn't question why their wife is leaving at three in the morning to, you know, to do whatever? But, um, yeah, she said she was trafficked. She was making hero bracelets and selling them. We look into the story. We talk to the family. Um, we get a lot of police reports and accusations she's made against other people. They're not true. Um, yeah, it was just insane. And so we published that story on the basis of that she had made so many accusations against her parents. And they're good people. We've interviewed a lot of people about this and the way she, she kind of brought in on the trafficking story that she was being trafficked by like elites in her neighborhood and her community, like, oh, it's the rich people. So, you know, she was playing into that and it just simply wasn't true. I mean, police investigated two separate cases in which absolutely no evidence of. And uh, I think one case, my opinion, I'll say that is I think she was caught kind of having sexual relations with someone. So she thought that the best option was to say she was being sexually assaulted, not to get in trouble um, in the Mormon culture. But then she falls off the radar. She's like, well, I'm not going to say anything else for a while. I'm not going to. She never addresses it. So she's back around, though, I hear. I guess I, I think what's most shocking about this for most people is uh and I mean, I guess we can't get in the heads of all these figures, but what do you think's driving all this? Like, I mean, why make false claims about uh, trafficking or just creating, you know, sort of fantasy uh, human trafficking tales when there actually is, as you point out in one of your articles, you know, there, there's real human trafficking that goes on, real victims. Uh, you know, you write in one of your um, articles, OUR uh, exposes Tim Ballard's lie. 
Uh, prior to publication, I consulted with actual victims of human trafficking who we've been working with, including three women I grew up with, in an effort to bring real human trafficking stories to the forefront. So why is it that there's these people that are sort of exploiting, you know, the, the real issue of human trafficking for other ends? Well, I think the especially when the Me Too movement came out and said, believe all victims, it kind of creates this sort of uh, blanket, right? You can't question them. Um, so it's easy that if they start, and I think it might start off with like a little lie. You tell someone and they're like, hey, why don't you tell your story to a journalist? I would like, in part of my head, I think some of them are seeking fame. Some people are going to say that's not true. They're just, you know, messed up. But if you look at a couple of the cases like Coco Berthman, she wanted to be a singer. She tried to be a singer. She was trying to do modeling. You look at Eliza Blue. She was trying to be a professional. Oh, Eliza Blue dated Gerald Way of My Chemical Romance for a little bit. So she got kicked off on that. She was a hairstylist for the band for a while. Um and what had happened with her story, the real story of it was that she engaged in some prostitution and, you know, to stick around and stay on the road to kind of, you know, hang around the band and stuff still. She got ashamed of it. She contacted a lady who kind of gets prostitutes out of the lifestyle and stuff. It's not trafficking, though. They're prostitutes that just want to get out of the life. She utilized that resource to get out, but who knows how much... I mean, her parents are rich. I don't know why she would need to do that anyway, but um, I think some of them... I don't think it's the same for everyone, but I think some of them, it might be a fame thing. Some of them, it could be mental illness. It could be other aspects. I don't get it because, uh, to me, it's disturbing, and I've had people to this day still say, you know, you're doing a horrible thing because even though they're did lie, it's still going to diminish people wanting to believe victims. And I'm like, no, what you're doing is you're numbing people not to investigate actual stories. If this girl is being sexually abused by this elite cabal in her town, then we need to find these people. So I was going to say, couldn't know, it also yeah. be argued that, you know, uh, yeah. pushing sort of false narratives and sort of fantasy trafficking tills, doesn't that, I mean, to me, that that hurts actual victims and it hurts yep. things like the Me Too movement. Yeah. And I think they latch on to that, too, um, because it's kind of an easier way to kind of propel them to the forefront. And when you have these fantastical trafficking stories, people want to hear it. They want to make lifetime movies out of it. You got Elizabeth Smart, who's willing to interview them and do these nice things for people they think are victims. The problem is, is they tell these big fantasy stories of being trafficked by gunmen and shootouts and they're being raped 50 times a day. You hear a lot of that from, you know, victim was raped 50 times a day and beat up. And what happens is when you do get like a real trafficking story, such as one uh, of the girls who dad, um, what would happen and how he ends up getting charged with trafficking is um, – I'm going to have it written on the website at some point because she's actually writing out the story. What it was is she's like 12 years old. Her dad was unhooked on crack and heroin. She would go asleep in a room. And when he couldn't afford to give his dealer money for drugs, he would kind of let the dealer slip in a room and kind of have his way with his daughter. And he would act like for years, like he turned his head and didn't know about it. She was in such denial. She believed her father that the dad, the guy would just like go in the bathroom and go into her room and do all this stuff to her. Well, then she finds out years later and uh, the mother who was working nights figured out that that's how he was supplementing a lot of the uh, drugs was to allow the drug dealer to go in and sexually abuse his daughter. 
And to me, that's the bigger betrayal than being kidnapped because this is your own father doing it. But here's the thing. No one wants to hear that story because it's disgusting, but it's real. And this is what's happening. And no one wants to talk about it. And there's a lot of other stories that are truly disturbing to think that you would do this to a family member or friend or your girlfriend or whatever. But uh, no, they just don't involve Mexican cartels. And I think it goes into a lot of this mythos that uh, suburban white girls are the target of these things and black and brown men are going after them. And it's like, yeah, um, I had I talked to a drug dealer who had a lot of girls that were prostituting. And he said, let me tell you something. I don't need to go into suburbia and traffic or kidnap any white girls because they'll come to me. And he shows me uh, you know, a thing of crystal meth. He said, these girls will clean their floor with my, their tongue if I asked them. I go, I don't got to steal them. And I think that that's another thing, too, that a lot of people latch onto these stories. And I notice that you have girls that have gotten into prostitution, um, whether it's for drugs, and usually it is for drugs. But when they kind of come out to it, the parents and everyone's embarrassed. So I think it's easier to say, uh, my daughter was a prostitute uh, trafficked. <laughs> you know, it's better to say, you know, that, you know, than to do it. So I think there's a lot of things going into play here. You know, it's 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 coming from all sides. And that's why we need to have we need to have a discussion with real words that describe actual things that's talking about real things. So we can't muddy the waters where we're describing prostitution as trafficking, child molestation as trafficking, not to code word it. I'm sorry if girls are ashamed that they were prostitutes, but that's why we shouldn't shame them if they had to do it to feel like to survive. But mixing and mingling and doing all that's not doing anything. It's just really confusing and it's creating cover language and it's just it's just getting out of hand is what's happening today. You think as well that before all this Sound of Freedom stuff came out, I was covering um, for a few years the Epstein case. So I, I know you're familiar mm -hmm. with figures like Maria Farmer sure. and um and whatnot. Um, do you think that that case sort of, you know, it, it's a very real case, the the Epstein abuses and trafficking. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you think that sort of uh, opened a rabbit hole up uh, for sort of fantasy claims of, oh, the elites are trafficking everyone? How do you think that's played into things? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, what I try to explain to folks when we talk about that, because they'll usually say, well, the Epstein case, you know, you don't believe in trafficking. No, it's not that I don't believe in trafficking. You know, understand the girl wasn't like snatched out of her bed and being trafficked. This is a really complicated. There was grooming. There's all sorts of these bad things. And then there's a lot of political angles where everyone that talked to Epstein was flying to his island and having sex with these girls. That's not true. It's just some of them were. He had were, he was weird like that. Um, I mean, Donald Trump was heavily connected to Epstein, but somehow they ignore that part and say, oh, Bill Clinton. But the point is, is that, yeah, it does propel it. And because it has, sort of has a rich man and there's powerful people connected, now it's like, Oh, this right. There are cabals. There are all these things. And it's like, well, I've covered crime a long time. I was involved in a lot of things when I was younger. And, you know, there's too many snitches out here. It's just like drugs. This is how you know when a neighborhood gets infested with drugs, cops start arresting people. You start seeing a bigger crime rate of robberies and stuff and drug addicts walking around. So if there was a huge trafficking cabal, I mean, think about of all the it's an in it's an end consumer, um, it's an end consumer business. So there's going to be somebody that's going to see this girl. I mean, out of hundreds of men, not one of them are going to say, "Hey, 
this girl's chained up to a wall. Something's not right here. And we're just not getting that. But yeah, you know, and I think that this diminishes uh, actual Epstein case too, because now it's diluted with all this nonsense. She names the guys that were involved in, uh, you know, some of the depositions. So it's like to add on more to it diminishes what she says. It clouds the truth to fit this narrative. And it's just not helping anyone. It's not doing any bit of good. With regards to OUR, uh, so I, I'm assuming you have sources within OUR that, that have told you things. Um, are there people that are maybe within OUR that are good faith, they're, they're, they believe in their mission, but they, they also have issues with the way Ballard has handled things? I wanted to delve into that a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. Um you know, I go to Paul Hutchinson because I, I believe that Paul Hutchinson and to this day, Paul Hutchinson defends their early work. He really felt like they did make a difference. He doesn't believe in the Rambo rescue. He calls it the Rambo raid model anymore. He doesn't believe in that. You know, it, it but, does. I mean, it is interesting how, you know, even the way the movie has been promoted by a lot of right wingers, it's like a Rambo movie or it's like yeah. taken. You know, it, it, yeah. it, very, it is very much like the Rambo raid. But go on. Yeah, and that's not even how these work out anyway. I mean, even if you look at the documentaries, which are fuzzy and you really don't un can't understand what's going on, um, it doesn't follow that. But this movie's just portrayed such a ridiculous concept and made him an action star, which is what he wanted to be from the beginning. But yeah, the the whole thing with these uh, these, but as far as OUR goes, yeah, there are, I think there are good faith people that get involved and a lot of them get out. You know, Meg Conley did an article not too long ago about, you know, she was a mommy, uh, wanted to get involved. And you get a lot of stay at home wives that want to get involved in this stuff. They get bored. They're like, oh my God, kids are being snatched in traffic. So I want to get involved. People want to do the good things, but um it's like uh, we had an article. He wrote it. It was his when he tried to join OUR. They really started weeding out actual FBI agents and police officers. They wanted like these these minds that were religious and devout Mormons. And it's kind of weird how they did that. I mean, you had an actual drug cop that was with you, a woman that worked with the FBI. Um, they think that they were uh, the guy that wrote it. Thinks they were worried that the FBI was trying to infiltrate them, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this woman was former FBI. You figured they would hire and get former people that's worked overseas that knows how to handle these type of cases, and they don't. And that's another thing that's troubling is like if you read the article um, that he wrote that was trying to join OUR, he got recruited. He writes, you know, that they have this big conversation about, well, if you have addiction to porn or you're ever attracted to the girl they bring in, you know, here's what you need to do. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you, you, you promote yourself as busting pedophiles. What do you mean? People attracted to children getting ready to bust them? Why would you even have them on the floor if someone admitted to me, you know, hey, I have a problem with uh, child pornography? or they might be attracted to them, you're gone. I can't have you on a mission. I can't risk that. And uh, people are like, well, I'm glad they're having those conversations because then it shows they're taking it seriously. I'm like, right, but somebody's admitting that they might be attracted to a child sex slave is a little troubling. They shouldn't be on the mission, period. I, I interrupted you for a second when you were talking about Paul Hutchinson. I went off into the mm -hmm. Rambo area. Can you talk just briefly again about Hutchinson if if people didn't catch earlier what you were saying about him? Well, Paul Hutchinson, you know, um, he 
I, he's very much important to the OUR story as Tim Ballard is. Um, he was a millionaire. He got seduced by Tim Ballard's charm. He really, I mean, really, the way he talks about Ballard is like he's almost like a uh, divine figure. Really believed in him. He paid lots of money to fund OUR missions in the beginning. And had he not done that, OUR probably wouldn't have been able to survive. You know, he really filled in the void. And uh, we asked him, how much do you think you spent on OUR? And he's like, it's, it's, I just couldn't tell you. But uh, I believe his heart is in the right place. I, I, I think some of the things he thinks is a little bit um, off pace. I do think his focus is on the wrong things because he's still kind of focused more on South America and the border wall. But um, I think he is truly concerned about those situations. Um, and I think what separates them from Ballard is that uh, Ballard has a serious ego, you know, like you watch this movie, it's really about Ballard, you know, everyone that does play a part, they're kind of involved. I mean, he even requested that Jim Caviezel play him because he was in uh, Passion of the Christ. Now, Tim says, I fell in love with him watching the Count of Monte Cristo, but no, there is by multiple accounts that he said, I want the guy that played Jesus to be me in the film. So uh, they got him and that's who they got. And then you get Jim Caviezel, who's saying the most wild and crazy things out there. It's like, wow. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, in part of it, you know, when people say, and I think this is what's disappointed a lot of people like Paul Hutchinson did invest in the film. A lot of people that are parted way with Ballard have an interest in it is that media missed an opportunity to talk about these cases, but they also screwed up on, you know, Tim's side because they allowed Jim Caviezel and stuff to talk as nonsense. So when they say, well, the media is just calling it QAnon nonsense, it's like, well, yeah, Jim Caviezel is still talking QAnon nonsense in the press circuit. So, yeah. So I was going to say, Hutchinson's the one that uh, I guess he reportedly, you know, broke some rule and touched one of the purported sex slaves during a transaction with an alleged trafficker. Yes. Um, okay. So we'll, that, that shows you how th this seems like this operation is very ragtag and could actually yeah. cause more uh, harm than good in a lot of ways. Well, if you read the Vice story, um, and this is where Ballard attacks Anna Merlin and Tim Marchman. Well, more Anna because she's a woman, I think. But uh, they talk about a mission in Haiti. I don't know if you read it, where they're running around Haiti trying to find Marty Gardy. They got Janet Russin looking for him. They're just all over the place. They got the psychic saying they could find him. And this is where Vice don't get into it. But Carlos Bristol gets uh, supposedly the psychic mentioned that this is the guy. They're torturing this guy uh, purportedly for hours. Uh, Haitian police and uh, so maybe someone from OUR was involved with it. But uh, when we reached out to his family that we found he would not uh, speak to us. He's scared to death. I mean, uh, and I, I don't blame him, but these are the things we're not talking about. You said ragtag. Absolutely. Did you ever hear him tell the story about the gunman? I had it in one of the videos. No. Can so, you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's a video. And if I could find it, and I remember I'll send it to you, where Tim Ballard is talking. It's on an LDS living uh, segment. He says, we're at the border. Uh, and... We knew the mission, what it was, as soon as he talked about it. But he was out there. They had posed as a medical team to go rescue some kids. And they come across a bunch of uh, gunmen. 
as they're getting ready to enter. So he goes and he gets into his car that they're with. He runs to the car and he's thinking this is it. And he reads the Book of Alma, which is a Book of Mormon uh, chapter or whatever. And he's praying. And then as soon as he looks up, the gunmen are walking away. They disappear. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, he prayed and all this stuff. And I, me and Lynn are like, that's a coward. That's not a leader. I mean, your leader running this operation runs the damn car to pray. And it's like someone else has got to say, hey, there's nothing to see here. We're just doctor team. And they're probably like, OK, go ahead. <laughs> you know, he's in the car start acting like he prayed away 400 gunmen. Well, uh, here's the thing, though. And what we make a point of is that they saved Ballard's team from these gunmen. But they never rescued any children on this operation. It's like, how? no one says that. Like, why would God let you guys get away from these gunmen? But did you rescue any children? No. <laughs> and it's like, wow. But the video is just funny when he says it because it's like uh, he's so intent. And it's like, that really sounds like a coward to run to your car when your team crumbs across the 400 gunmen. <laughs> and that's how he says it. And he prays them away with the Book of Alma. <laughs> You know, it's funny uh, that you mentioned uh, Anna Merlin and uh, Tim Marchman. And, you know, I want to shout out to Tim here. He suggested I get either you or Lynn on. Uh, so I want to thank him for that uh, tip. I, I've seen that Vice has been attacked uh, by, mm -hmm. you know, right wing figures and QAnon believers for attacking this movie. Uh, I'm wondering, have you guys been attacked in any way? One of the reasons I wanted to have uh, you or Lynn on actually was because, you know, I feel like American Crime Journal uh, – you can't throw that accusation of, oh, you're just this giant big corporation. I feel like you guys are really boots on the ground and very independent. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, that that accusation that right wingers will throw out of, oh, you're just working for the big corporate power. You can't really say that about American Crime Journal. I feel like what you're doing is very independent. Uh, so, I mean, has there been attacks, though, on American Crime Journal by the sort of sound of freedom believers and the Ballard supporters? Oh, God, yes. I mean, we got hundreds of death threats. Um, I, I try to engage with everyone when I can. Um, and if they don't start off like that, but they're like, what's your intention, blah, blah, blah. And I explain to them, listen, you know, for several years, I worked as an advocate for a nonprofit for domestic violence victims, you know, because when you go to court, if you're a criminal, you're guaranteed an attorney. But if it's a civil case, they don't. There was a nonprofit that helped domestic violence and abuse victims get out. And I did advocate work. I'd go with them to help them if they needed to fill out a order of protection and tell them how to go through the process and be there with them because you got to testify before your abuser and stuff like that. Some of those women were trafficking victims and it was horrific stories. I grew up next to... Um, the newspaper reporter, her name, her name is Johnny Stewart. She was called when she died in like 2000, 2001, the matriarch of prostitution in Aurora. She ran a bunch of homes. Her sister, her daughter bought a home next to us, but she was afraid her son would get into gangs. We had a shared driveway with them. We live in these little houses about the size of Chicago bungalows. And, um, we had a shared driveway. She moves, her mother run, starts running a, you know, a, a prostitutes out of it. I became friends with some of those girls and kids. They had 70 people living in this small one family house. And what they would do is they would put up like the clotheslines that came with the house. They'd put them down there and then they would put sheets up in between full size bed. We're sneaking down there when we're five and six years old. Well, I became friends with many of these girls who went through the system of um, foster care. 
when they would run away, they would run away and come to my house when we were teenagers and we'd sneak them in the house. And so would my other friends. And sometimes they would bring other runaways with us and we became friends with them. But they were through the system. They were abused. You know, back when I was a teenager, I was trying to help these girls and stuff. And uh, it was a horrific situation. I grew up around this. I seen this every day. I seen horrific things happen in that shared driveway. My room faced it, for God's sakes. So, I mean, you're not talking to someone that just is uh, from the suburbs that just, you know, heard about this and wants to get involved. I've seen this for years. I've seen drugs for years. I lived in the prostitution hotspot for years growing up as a child. I mean, I remember a serial killer killing a prostitute, dropping her right into a garbage pan that we passed by three, four times when we go cut through the block because we'd live next to a housing project that my grandma lived in and I lived with her half the time called Maple Terrace in Aurora and spanned two blocks on both sides of the block on 2nd and North Ave. So, I mean, listen, you know, this wasn't I seen a movie or, you know, I was inspired by something. I've, you know, been sensitized. I've seen it my whole life. So it really, it's hard when people say something like that to me when they have no clue what they're talking about. And they think, oh, you're just a pedo. You love the you're a pedo. I mean, disgusting stuff. And here's the thing is, I mean, you know, I won't repeat what he said, but it was so nasty. He got so descriptive. I was like, you actually sit here and think these things? Like <laughs> doing that with a child? Do you actually play that in your head to repeat to me? Really? Come on. That's wild because I, I mean, I, it's just, it blows my mind that they would go that out of their way uh, to yeah. contact you. I mean, uh, because I, I, I'm not saying that American crime journal is, is like a small operation, but I mean, I would assume more people would know vice or vice has uh, a larger reach. And yet these people are still finding you and your work and going after you as well as the people advice. Well, we had a, you know, we had a lucky break. Um, you know, we're, it's not like we're hauling in a bunch of money or anything, but we were on Dr. Phil, some of the graphics um, that we had for the Carly Gousset case they used. Um, so we had uh, people investigate that case, got a pretty big jump. Coco Berthman was a huge bump when we exposed her, as well as Eliza Blue for the right wing. So I had a huge right wing following after Eliza Blue because it went through the whole fan or the, uh, you know, the fandom menace or whatever. And it was like uh, they started following us. So we have these stories that kind of gained a little bit of credibility and we've been featured in a lot of publications. But we don't I don't have any corporate contacts. We're not getting paid. I wish George Soros would send me $100,000. But uh, even Vice, they were kind of the anti-mainstream media when they first started. Um, they kind of do stories that most people don't do. But um, having kind of cross-reference with Anna and Tim's work, um, whether you like the publication or not, they've done a hell of a job in investigating it and making sure, I mean, stuff that we would report and we don't have big attorneys or anything that review it. Um, you know, Lynn's already been to court a few times cause he's a reporter over, you know, libel accusations and he's beat both cases on his own because he's been a legal consultant. I've been to court multiple times and, uh, we win because, if you don't say stuff you shouldn't, then you don't get yourself in trouble when you report things. So 
Um, but Anna and Tim has done a hell of a job. So even if you don't like the New York Times or you'd like any of these other reporter or other publications, some of the reporters actually did uh, boots on the ground. I even have a Fox News reporter that I worked with for a while, Holly McKay. She's no longer with Fox, but she was a damn good journalist because she followed stories like of women in Afghanistan and stuff. So even though we all think some people think Fox News is garbage, there still was someone on there that cared and did do, you know, her P's and Q's with publication. No, I think that's definitely true. I mean, I think sometimes people will look at a publication and say, I don't like that publication, and they'll completely ignore the the reporter or the journalist doing the work, uh, you know. And I think sometimes, too, people forget the difference between, like, an op-ed writer and a journalist. Um, sure. So, you know. But, um, you, but you would know, like anyone else starting up, though um, – you have to if you don't you don't have the name or the money to start off you have to you have to gain it through credibility right yeah so you can't start with garbage you know i, I was going to ask too because you mentioned at the beginning how does ballard tie into the whole wayfair thing that was that furniture company that the that became like a flashpoint for QAnon where they were saying they were trafficking children what was the what was the connection there what occurred with that is Ballard, like I said, there was a sort of this domestic um, legitimacy with OUR and with the net nanny stings with the Washington State Patrol. So when that whole Wayfair thing went on, they approached Ballard, some people in the mainstream media, as the human trafficking expert. And he sort of perpetuates, well, that might not be the case in this, but it does happen. And it's like human trafficking experts is like, there's never, <laughs> you know, you don't buy kids through websites. They don't ship you a kid through the mail. That's not how it works. So that's what started that. And uh, yeah, he kind of really did a right wing shift after that because law enforcement agencies dropped him. Um, they won't even take money from OUR. So yeah, it was, uh, that's what started it though. Do you ever feel like this whole world that you've sort of uncovered looking into Tim Ballard and OUR, it feels like you're you're in a Hall of Mirrors world when covering all this stuff because you have uh, these people that claim to be victims that maybe have mental illness or other uh, issues going on. And then you have uh, people like Ballard who seem like Lynn Packer has described him as a flim-flam man. Uh, then you have people that are true believers. Then you have people that are scam artists. It sounds like it's just a mix of you know, people with all kinds of different motivations, and it's very hard to untangle. Oh, absolutely. And this is something I never wanted to be involved in in the first place. You got to remember, we started to cover cases like obscure cases of missing children. Investigative series was more to uncover cases because a lot of times in true crime media has become sensationalized. They bring psychics in, they'll bring body language experts, all these factors that uh, aren't the facts, you know, so I was going to try to work on stuff like that. But no one was really working on this when I got to it. I'm like, this is very weird because how they hired the one of the biggest law firms in Utah to threaten a lawsuit over just a comment I made on Facebook. And then I mentioned I made an article about his text messages. And sure enough, um, when I started hearing about the human trafficking stories, I'm like, this doesn't sound right. So um called a few of the friends that I had. And I'm like, well, what do you think if I start working this? Um, girl's like, well, it's all, you know, that you're not going to win because everyone, 90%, 99% of America thinks it's all kidnapping and juiced up lifetime stories. And I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm going to get into this. And it has been crazy. I mean, the, the, 
if I could report half of the things that you heard or it's just been nuts. I mean, there's just been all sorts of things and there's reports I've had to abandon because newer stuff comes in. It's like, well, sorry, I couldn't get to that story. I have to move on now because it moves quick. And now that the media is onto it, it's good because it does deserve people with resources that can really spend the time to look into this and go into the financials. I mean, I would love nothing more than to have the money to go to Haiti to follow on what he did there and Lynn Packer too, because there's a lot of stories that need to be uncovered there. Cause a lot of things, a lot of bad things did happen. Yeah. I think you're doing uh, the Lord's work in that sense, because you know, there's so many stories that get covered and uh, you even have people cover them in a way where they'll use it to support a political agenda or they'll twist things. So I used to cover the Nexium case, you know, the Nexium called right. multi-level marketing scheme uh, sure. But, you know, what's interesting about that case is you had people like Roger Stone of Donald Trump fame and Nixon fame get involved and try to turn it into this, like, political thing. Like, oh, look at all the progressives. But then you talk to people that were, you know, either um, acquainted with Tim, uh, with uh, Keith Raniere, the leader of the cult, uh, or just had some involvement. And they'll say, no, it's the exact opposite. It wasn't, like, really this, like, left-wing progressive thing. You know, so it, it's kind of interesting that uh, a lot of these cases, I think, get distorted to push a political agenda. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And that's that that poisons it because um, either there are times that there are political things, but I think what's happened and uh, we live in a world today and I think it really started when I was growing up. You had the GOP that really took issue. Uh, they kind of brought in the evangelical base. So science was a big problem for them. You know, they're some of them, the evangelical base will say that uh, evolution is the worst thing that's ever happened. It's it's toxic. We need to get rid of it. But they really started attacking media, science, journalism. They started attacking uh, education now is under fire completely, 100%. And what's happened is it's distorting the views. They're saying, well, they're rewriting history. They're making up their own facts if they don't like them. And that's just simply not how it works. And that's why, you know, I've taken such a dedication to be careful of what I say and how I say it because I don't want people, I want people to get the message, but you know, if there's politics involved, I have to say it. I'm not going to ignore it just not to hurt uh, some QAnon guy's friend or, you know, I got a story getting ready to go up to attack, you know, the media. They call it the liberal left wing media, but it's the mainstream media. They're not. I don't know if these people have really seen a leftist in their life because they're calling <laughs> like Joe Biden a leftist. I'm like, OK, all right. But um, and that's the thing, like we're talking about definitions being used. I mean, they're calling a Democrat a liberal, leftist, socialist, they, they use it interchangeably. And these are all different things. They have different meanings. and uh, But I guess it's easier to paint your enemy a certain way. But regardless, it's important to me to get the facts straight, to document the record right. You know, if I get it wrong, I fix it. You know, hey, we made a mistake here. And because credibility is everything. So for me to go out here and just wham out stories that are junk, and I mean, I believe it so much. I used my real name when I went out there. It's not like I'm hiding behind a uh, <laughs> a meme or something or a little bit, of, you know, avatar and got some fake name out there like uh, <laughs> Hector Hugecock or something. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. So, yeah, it's important for me to get this right, especially the subject we're talking about. 
in, in closing, I'm just curious, have you actually, have you had a chance to see this Sound of Freedom movie yet, or? I have not seen the whole movie. We kind of know the story because we've talked to people that's seen it. I did get a 25-minute clip of the original film, um, and this is how we knew Earl Buchanan's name was used in it heavily. And the son was really afraid that if they used his dad's name, and this was the thing that we sent them months before the release, was like, if you're going to use Earl Buchanan's name, you realize he can sue you because you're calling him a trafficker. Imagining having to pay the pedophile money that you that inspired this story, you know? Um, and uh, it's crazy, but uh, they won't get back to us. OUR is just went uh, nuts. But no, I have not seen the whole film. But we know the storyline because we've, you know, we, J.J. Uh, Brown, we interviewed him when he saw it here in Las Vegas. One of the other people in Las Vegas um, showed me a clip of it. He's like, he was afraid of getting seen, but it was right here at a Freedom Forum right here in uh, Las Vegas. A big QAnon event. So if they want to say they're not connected to QAnon, that's who they were marketing to, <laughs> you know, so... You know, it's it's sad to me because I've all you know I like movies that are done on like lower budgets. I believe Sound of Freedom was done on like you know around fourteen point five million dollars, and it's been yeah. successful in that regard. I think it's made over ninety million now. And in any other case, I would be like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's like the little engine that could. You know, the small movie that did well for itself. But this movie is just based on so many lies. You know, I'm sure there's people that just enjoy the movie as like some type yeah. of thriller. The problem mm -hmm. is when you're taken in by the sort of lies and ideology it's promoting. It's not even, you know, I don't have a problem with people. I, I've known people that watched it and liked it as a mm -hmm. movie. They thought it was a good thriller or whatever. But it's the it, it's everything else that comes with the movie that I have an issue with. No, absolutely. I mean, I you didn't see me write articles about Taken or anything. Have they never said anything about true story or and listen, I don't even have a problem with them calling like a true story that isn't. But you have a guy that's actually being marketed with this film, his story. I mean, the angels, you got people coming out of the theater, crying, hugging each other like, you know, they've been touched by God, another passion of the Christ. And it's complete BS. I mean, and and that's what uh, they asked me the other day, Seth Andrews. He goes, well, how much of the story is real? Because Tim Ballard said 85 percent. You know, he's saying I didn't kill the guy at the end. And it's like. The only thing that's true is you have Tim Ballard, who was an HSI agent. That's it. You know, there was no kidnapped child. There was no rescue. Um, he did not quit his job to start to, to rescue children. He this case was seven years later. This is when he quit. It's 2006. He quit seven years later. And from the very beginning, he was trying to become a movie star. I mean, we even have the white papers of when they were pitching the story. And you know what they did? They would have like a. Uh, uh, like military guys standing there with video game stats, like Madden stats next to him, like accuracy, 99%, speed, 24%, you know, uh, strength, 100%. And they named one of the guys Master Sergeant Navy SEAL uh, John, uh, John, I think it was Joe. Joe Hutchinson. I'm like, first of all, there's no master sergeants in the Navy SEALs. I mean, you already got this wrong. And it just looks cheesy off the bat. Uh, so it wasn't like this was really about the kids. And if you watched Tim Ballard right before this, he really tried his hand at a pseudo Mormon historian. He wrote the Covenant series. He was on Glenn Beck, you know, uh, marketing it. 
And that's how he met Russell Ballard. Russell Ballard said he was inspired by the covenant, but they took all the LDS stuff out of some of the books. So if you go online, they have a Mormon version and then they have like an evangelical version. You know, I know I'm going to have at least one or two listeners because, you know, I have people from all different political persuasions and walks that listen to this. If there's someone that has seen Sound of Freedom and they've been taken in by Tim Ballard and his story, what would you want to say to them? You know, because, I mean, we're sort of in a – I think this movie has created a panic, right? You know, you have Mm -hmm. people saying, oh, they pulled it from a theater in Ohio or they're turning off the AC. They shut the movie off while we were watching it. And there's sort of a panic uh, around this movie. You have Tim Ballard appearing on all the big right-wing media like Jordan Peterson – and a lot of people are being roped in by this. So if someone is listening to this and they've made it through all this and they were roped in somehow by Tim Ballard's story, what do you want to tell them and why maybe they should, you know, look at it from a different lens or consider everything we've been talking about? Well, you just look at all the scandals that's happening with Tim Ballard now. He's getting fired. I mean, OUR gets rid of him a week before he uh, gets ready to be uh, this big star. Um, it, this, uh, by the way, this does feel like his downfall moment. You know, it's like it's like Adolf Hitler in the bunker at the end of that downfall movie. You know, like it does Lynn seem like Pack- everything's coming out. Yeah, Lynn Packer and I talked about this over a year ago. That this movie, if it ever does get produced, could be the biggest mistake of his life if they look into a lot of this nonsense. But what I would say to him, well, especially like with the ACs being turned off and they don't want you to see it, who? They're not exposing anyone. It's not like they're naming people in Hollywood as predators. This is just about a guy going in the jungle, rescuing a girl from a truck lord. So I just want to know why they what, uh, wouldn't it just be easier not to show the movie in the first place? Yeah, if they wanted to cover up that bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. They would still have the power to do that. Um, and why would the movie theater allow it? Because that's, you know, they get a cut of that. So, I mean, it's like, wow. And I'll tell you what if that did happen because some of the movie theaters they have to buy the screen time and they actually already paid the movie theater to run it but here's the thing you go to a lot of theaters these tickets were a lot of them were sold in advance so people didn't go so it booked a lot of these theaters and they'll say sold out and there's only a couple people in the theater but this on the books it's full that's why they kept saying the saying this pay it forward they did seven million dollars through that where you can download a ticket and see it for free but what i would say to someone you know if they uh especially if they're not listening and they're like oh you're lying or whatever is talk to actual trafficking victims about their stories get a real glimpse they're out there they're not hiding they're not hidden there are women there are even men that have been involved in trafficking um the person that runs our social media account actually missed him, uh, Jose Alfaro. He was a young man that was trafficked in the LGBTQ community. Um, his, he's got a compelling story. I've tried to get him on uh, just to get you know other perspectives. But um, talk to them and not listening to some guy that's claiming he's rescuing a kid in a jungle. You're worried about a situation here. It's all about people across the country. And that's what OUR does. They... You know, if you look at OUR's message for years, and they've actually taken this down from their websites, they said, OUR, our mission is to rescue kidnapped kids. Now, all of a sudden, they say in their statement, well, kidnapping is rare and trafficking if ever happens. It's like, what? You guys built a a compelling sham off this kidnapping nonsense, and now you're going to just kind of ease your way in the industry. This isn't on the job training, you know? You're you're you know, you're dealing with some of the most delicate 
children that's been violated in horrific situations and you have no clue what you're doing. You're just kind of winging it and that we don't have time for that. That's just troubling. Have you had anyone thank you for the journalism you and Lynn have been doing in the sense of, you know, I know people that initially were open to the movie Sound of Freedom and they mm-hmm. were like, you know, trafficking's a real issue. I'm glad someone's shining a light on it. And then they learned about it and they were like, mm-hmm. you know, this is actually muddying the waters. H- have you had that experience of people reaching out and saying, you know, thank God I I, I found your reporting on this because, you know, I could have been led astray. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the, you know, our in one day, we had twice as many people come to our website than in its entire history, you know, combined, because it had just, uh, it had hit right-wing circles, and a lot of people had gotten in on it from all perspectives. But even over the years, I've had police officers, former FBI agents um, that are going to be part of the interviews and books that I've talked to, quotes. I talked to one of the heads of the Detroit Metropolitan Police Department's Human Trafficking Task Force. I've been talking to him, getting some input. I quote him in actually one of my upcoming article, or I think it's already out, where he said, I would rather at this point there be no information than disinformation, because what happens is you get people calling about these vampires and ghosts. We're looking for things that's not there. He's like, I literally had to investigate this case because this woman swore her neighbor was getting organs shipped to him through UPS. And I'm like, listen, my wife was on a transplant list at once. You know how hard it is to do a transplant. You have a very short time of life on these uh organs but they're calling the cops with this stuff you know it's not that's, just that's like scary because yeah. i've also i know that that has happened with a few anti-trafficking organizations where they get mm-hmm. the QAnon people calling in or asking them questions and it, it takes up yeah. time and resources because they're they're having to deal with all this bs and and uh yeah. sort of sensationalism yeah no we have we have a lot we get a lot of thank yous and stuff lynn has said we should probably do like a page where we got them but the problem is is i you know i just don't have that ego factor like ballard where i'm like oh oh, look at me i got thanked by you know lapd officer you know walk around with it you know maybe even make an own plaque or something and say like yeah well this is what they meant to give me so i might as well just hang it on my wall it's it's silly you know and jim caviezel i don't know if you've seen him now he's wearing a navy seal trident on uh, when he even met with Trump last night. And everyone's like, what's that? And I'm looking, I'm like, that's a Navy SEAL trident. So, I mean, here we go with the whole military politicization with it. I know he's going to say someone gave it to him, unless he's going to lie and say he's a Navy SEAL, which that could happen. <laughs> you know, it's happened before plenty of times. But uh, no, it's good. Um, you know, By the like way, Tim this Ballard. Is the first time Tim Ballard has met with Trump, right? No, he met with Trump uh, in 2020 after the whole Wayfair factor and everything. But he did a and Vice covered this. It was the story of Liliana. Liliana was a girl that was seduced and to come into the United States by a young boy. She was 14. She thought she was coming over here for love to New York City. They did get her in a trafficking situation when she got over here. Um after three years, she's 17. She rescues herself. She has the courage to leave her traffickers. She leaves. She goes to the police. I mean, she came over to this country. She didn't even know how to speak English. Anyhow, she met OUR about three, four years after the fact. So she was in her 20s um, to talk about there at some event. She's there. She happens to talk to them and tell her story. To be damned that... Uh, uh, 
and it makes me sick to my stomach. Tim Ballard actually makes it a feature case at OUR, says Liliana. Um, they named her Liliana. He testifies before Congress about uh, rescuing Liliana, and he talks about this case day after day. He's getting her age wrong. He's saying she was 12, she was 11, she was kidnapped, brought to the United States when it was really a Romeo pimp that got her over here. And uh, he testifies about rescuing her, and he personally rescued her in NYC. This girl rescued herself. Tim Ballard was nowhere. She was older. And they even had a gimmick like they did with the necklace that this Pedro kid or Miguel or whatever they named him now gave Ballard. But she supposedly designed, it was from Liliana, a Valentine's Day card, a thank you for all the OUR fans and support. And it looked like it was made by a six, seven-year-old. It was made out of like construction paper with stick figures on it. The woman's in her 20s. She didn't make that card. And they're selling it online for $15 for the Liliana fund. And she had nothing to do with OUR. They didn't rescue her. And that was even oh, more so disgusting. Grotesque. It's it's just disgusting, and that's when I tell the story, and people are like, "Oh, come on, you know, yeah, uh, you know." Maybe he's maybe he's talking about just excuses, and I'm like, "Guys, you can't fabricate court records." You know, they were able to find out who she was because he had mentioned certain details, and you find it through the court records. And they found her, they interviewed her, they talked to her, they have it on record, they have witnesses. There's, you know, it's not like they just made this up. And uh, Ballard has never issued a denial. He's never issued a denial. When we first came out with reports, he came out with, he didn't address Lynn Packer and I by name, but he answered a couple of the hard questions. It was like the hardball questions that only few people ask. And he's addressing things that uh, Lynn Packer and I reported, but he didn't answer the hard questions, just the little side ones we asked. We're like, why don't you have us on there? You know, Lynn Packer and I were like, you know, do we go on like if a right wing person invites us on, do we go and talk to the show? Hell yeah, we do. We'll go on anyone's show, you know, and that's why, you know, I try to make room for it. He's finishing reports right now, but we want to get the message out. But listen, I've done this long enough and, you know, I I've know exactly what's going on. So if they have their questions, I can answer them. I'm not afraid. I know the facts. So, you know, that's the problem is that, uh, you know, he's hiding from real reporters. Do you see what he's done now where he's with uh, Victor, um, Victor Marks, who's another evangelical um, rescuer of trafficked children? Well, here he is. Now he's doing, he went on this two day like retreat, um, you know, that's what we call it in Catholicism. You know, it was a two-day retreat. He goes on, you know, he's over there praying. He admits, and, and Victor says this, of doing some wrongdoing. He's not a perfect man, but I believe him, and we got to forgive him because of Christ. And it's like, this guy's Mormon. Why didn't he go to the LDS church and do it? The reason why he doesn't do it is the LDS church is scandal adverse. They don't want scandal around them. They don't want any type of controversy. So he's, I, I think Tim's trying to rehab his public image before some of this stuff comes out. It's like, it's not going to be good. This is not getting better. And there's a lot of stories that we had that they were too afraid to come forward because of OER's power and reach. Well, now they're starting to change it and be like, hey, you know, remember when I talked to you and we talked to you a couple of years ago? We want to come forward with our story. We want to, we're going to give you the letters. And I mean, I have text messages from Tim talking to people um, that they didn't want released. I respect that. I mean, 
And that's the part of, like you said, you know, getting, uh, you know, when you're a small outfit, you, that's how you, you know, you build your brand and your name is you respect stuff like that. It's not like I get something and they don't want me to publish it. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to put it online just so I can make a headline for a couple of days. No, um, but they're starting to come around. And it sounds uh, like you're hopeful I... for the future that this isn't going to yeah. turn into is what worries me is like you get a satanic panic scenario where it's like, you know, the underlying message that I get from a lot of these people that believe in QAnon or have seen mm -hmm. Sound of Freedom is, oh, the world is run by satanic liberal pedophiles. You know, that can get really – the people who really start to believe that, I think they can get involved in, you know, just really extremist activities. And I think it makes yeah. for a very scary environment. But it sounds like you're saying that, you know, this is all sort of a house of cards that is coming down. It sounds like you're hopeful that the house of cards is coming down on this. Yeah, I, I think what it does is it exposes an industry and how this is really working and on the fear. And when I talked with uh, Seth, uh, I mentioned, um, I didn't really go deep into it, but I've, I've long said, and what part of my book is going to go in the history of it, is you have three things that happened that really kind of created the environment for this. Growing up, we had Stranger Danger, and then we had Satanic Panic in the 80s and 90s. This kind of merges to this quasi-QAnon. Well, as far as like the trafficking goes, you really don't hear about a lot of trafficking cases until the um, after 2000. What happens? We had all these teen prostitution that was on TV, Sally Jesse Raphael show, Jenny Jones. Well, Clinton signed and it was it, it took about eight years to pass. It was the Trafficking Violence Against Persons Act of 2000, where it made that like if a 17 year old girl got money for sex that John could be charged with trafficking if there was any money exchanged, even if it was consensual without money. Now, I want to be clear on something to everyone. I'm not saying that I want teen prostitution to be okay, but they labeled teen prostitution as trafficking, which is another way of inflating the numbers. So now you have these trafficking cases that actually come up. But when you look at them, it's really kind of like teen prostitution. And if you're really worried about the victims, most of the time they arrest the victim, too, for prostitution. That way she'll flip on the guy for you know, immunity. So when you see these growth in these actual trafficking cases, they're like, look how it's grown over the last few years. It's like that's because the prosecution definitions changed under the law. They were allowed to charge these guys as traffickers when they're Johns. And that's why I think there needs to be specific definitions and names being used, because this really inflated that number. Do you, I promise to let you go after this, but since you mentioned uh, the satanic panic and stranger danger, do, do you think in some ways what's known as like true crime media has contributed maybe a little bit to sensationalism that has led to stuff like QAnon? Could you, I just, I really want you to comment on that because I don't think people think about it enough, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of true crime media actually does feed into sort of moral panics hysterias and even hurting actual just causes there is not a week goes by that i get a, a message because i made a comment about crime junkie which is one of the biggest true crime podcasts well they actually had stolen a case of mine the i-65 serial killer lifted my words, plagiarism galore. And they did this to a lot of people in the true crime industry. And I wrote about how it's just garbage. What made me mad about all these podcasts and shows is, you know what? Listen, I could go on, read a Wikipedia case about a criminal incident, and I can make a podcast about it and talk about it. And it's like, you haven't really investigated the case. You don't know the victims. You don't know anything about it. 
you just read it off of it and you made it on a podcast. And then you go over theories that people wrote down. They're not even true. There might be facts that are not even properly reported in that. But you're exactly right. 99% of true crime is garbage. And I'm not saying well, that they're not garbage even people. Just, I, I don't no, even I, just mean with the podcast, but like even historically, yeah. a lot of the true crime oh, books are very yes, tabloid. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's we got the podcast now, and that's really the explosion that happened. But yeah, if you go back to really Truman Capote started this back in the day, um, he made it more sensationalized. He got involved with the actual perpetrators of the crime, which made it just horrible. But uh, no, it, it that's when I started. I really wanted to create a fact, science-based, true crime. And I wouldn't even call it true crime, but more reporting because it wasn't like – I was just reading a case and reporting and I would either talk to the people, I would look at for obscure cases. Um, and another thing is there's a false perception of victims, right? In the United States, like they did a survey, who's most likely to be the victim of a violent crime? Black males are right up there almost right away. But when you ask who thinks they're most likely to be a victim of a violent crime, white women think they're the most likely to be the victim of a violent crime when they are the least likely to be a victim of a violent crime. Because if you look at all these podcasts, they're also the stuff, biggest consumers, I think, of yeah, true crime yeah. media. Well, that's why they have a lot of these, you know, white women stories. I mean, there's no podcast that, I mean, there's big podcasts. They might have one or two cases with black folks or Hispanic folks on it. And I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying, you know, if you're liking it just for a scary story, that well, crimes... it becomes a, not to interrupt you, it becomes a form of, um, you know, like infotainment. It's like true crime is entertainment. I think has a lot of uh, pitfalls to it and it can cause a lot of problems. But you were saying well, that it primes. It primes people. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, it's like scary stories. You had these girls and people that grew up that got scared of like the Freddy Krueger stories and stuff. Now you have the true crime stories and then you have these stories of kidnappers and stuff. So it is a kind of entertainment where it's a scary story. You know, guess what's out there? You know, hey, satanic pedophiles. Hey, I know there's people that, you know, do transplants in hotels and it's like, okay. And yeah, but you're exactly right. It is entertainment, but um, these are serious subjects i don't mind them having it as entertainment but don't inject nonsense in real you know talk because we are not having a real talk about these topics no one's used this opportunity to actually say listen there is a real problem here but it's not gear girls getting kidnapped at the park on the fourth of july are there any ties by the way between some of this like oh the elite you know liberal pedophile conspiracy cabal and like the current panic that the right is having about, you know, uh, trans people. If you listen to Tim Ballard and Eduardo Verastiki and all of them, they say that, you know, this is where the trans movement is coming on. This is why you have this going on because of uh, their, the pedophilia. So their, their view is that these kids are being groomed into transitioning? Correct. What's happening is we're because we're dulling out and we're not using proper pronouns on children. They want to be girls and we're just letting the boys play with girl toys. We're not correcting it and giving them guidance. And it's like, oh, boy. Well, first of all, it's a real small percentage of the population to sit here. And now you're trying to inflate the number to 800,000 kids a year are kidnapped and then blame it on them. And they say that that's what's conditioning it. But did you see what happened with Joe Rogan when he talked about the litter box where he said he knew no, a friend could you of talk his... a little bit about this? I, I haven't heard about this. OK, so Joe Rogan says on his show 
um, he has a friend who is whose wife is a teacher who the school had to put litter boxes in the bathroom because there were children that identified as cats. Oh, my God. You know what? It's funny. You know, I had a, a family relative that came back from work the one day and they were saying to me, I heard about these litter boxes being put in the bathrooms in the school. And I'm like, how do you know this is even true? How do you know that this person right. wasn't making this up or they're getting it third hand or they're listening to Joe Rogan? So I'm like, now, now I know exactly what you're talking about. So go on. Yeah. So a couple of weeks later, he actually has to retract it. So probably his friend was like, no, that's not what we told you or something. And he says, you know, that thing about that litter box, speaking of that, uh, that wasn't true. I got that wrong. Sorry about that. But here's a perfect example I show people like when people like when I talk about like, say, for instance, um, Sound of Freedom not being true, like, hey, um, Edward, Ed, Ed Buchanan was a grooming pedophile. Well, why would you mention that he's a trafficker? Why, why are you going? You're out here for the pedophile. See, so you're trying to cover it. You're trying to soften the language. But here's the thing: there's, a, I don't know if there's a comprehension problem or people are being dishonest. The other day, MSNBC does a story, and let me let's see if this makes sense to you. Maybe I'm wrong. It says the far right obsession with fitness. Joe Rogan immediately retweets, oh, now they're trying to say that the far right is the only one that cares about physical fitness or that you're, oh, and then you're also far right if you're into fitness. It's like, that's not what it said. It said I, I was going to say the article, yeah. the body of that article was very yeah. different to me than the headline. Yeah. yeah. But even the headline said the far right obsession with fitness. It didn't say physical fitness is a far right thing or it does. And then if you read the body of the article, it talks about, you know, uh, race wars and stuff I'm like, yeah, they're getting into it. I mean, look at what Nick Fuentes the other day started talking about. We need to take out the Jews. And right, the guy for, out... for people that don't know the America first movement, he's one of the biggest yeah. sort of neo-Nazi leaders. Yeah. 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 And uh, this all plays into it. I mean, it's uh, it's really troubling how, and I think that that's what's happened with the right is there's all this commingling and different letters, levels of ideas where you have people that believe some of the conspiracy theories. you got people up here that believe all the conspiracy theories. But I think it breeds a ground of fear. And you got a lot of people out here that are ready to take action. You're hearing them say, say things like that. And that's what's starting to scare me. It's like Pizzagate because it's like, well, if the police aren't doing nothing to save these children, then I'm going to have to. And it's going to get people killed. And, you know, that was the one thing my wife was concerned because. I mean, yeah, I was going to say this has the potential to create like lone wolf McVeigh types. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, it, it always goes back to the Jews, but then they want to protect Israel. And it's just uh, insane. And I try not, if it doesn't involve politics, I try not to make anything about politics. But if there's a political movement that's manipulating something or they're using it as uh you know, it's the same with like if you support transgender rights that you're somehow a groomer. It's like, the, do you even know what grooming is, bro? It's like, but people taking definitions in language and reporting it as something else like Joe Rogan did. It said the far right obsession with physical fitness. It didn't say, I can understand how you might misunderstand it if you first read it, just passing through. But by responding to that and make it seem like it's something else that it's not, and then people not even reading the headline or reading the body of the work, it's well, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing to say a lot of the far right has an obsession 
with yeah. physical fitness. It's another thing to say, oh, physical fitness is inherently a far right wing thing. That's not what the article is saying. Yeah. Right. And that's the that's the point. But they interpret it that way. So you got to wonder, it's like, what are they really, is the comprehension really that bad? Have they dumbed down to where they're just taking things at face value? And I think they do because like some of my aunts and family members that, uh, you know, had watched Fox News, they're like Reagan Republicans back in the day. I mean, they're watching Fox News and are now OAN and stuff for five, six hours a day. You know, it's like, my aunt will watch her soaps, you know, or whatever's on TV and then law and order at one o'clock. And then it's just straight on to right wing nonsense. And I'm like, what are you watching? It's talking about, I mean, here's the thing. I remember sitting over at a house. Do you remember right before the election, the million people that were coming up through South America and the border and the ISIS was oh, the caravans, the caravans. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was getting ready They're to bring in the caravans the to do illegal yeah. votes. And this is how they're going to steal the election. <laughs> Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're done talking about that after the election. But how fearful is that for someone in like Alabama or something that's hearing about it? Like, I'm going to stockpile my guns. Mexicans and blacks are coming for me. And it's inherently racist, the stuff they're saying. And, uh, you know, people get mad at me, but I'm like, that's the way it is. You know, if we don't call it what it is and expose it. But here's the thing. The problem I run into is. Anyone could say anything in 10 seconds, but it takes 15 minutes to debunk it. So by the time you get... Uh, it's, it's the problem you know, of soundbite yeah, culture. Yeah, right. You know, they catch on to it. It's like, well, they'll say something like Mary, or what's her name? Marjorie Taylor Greene owns somebody. And it's like, yeah, if you watch the whole clip, she had her ass handed to her. But I'm glad you cut that one little part out there, you know, and made it sound like she won or something. And it's crazy. I mean... A part of me just wants to ignore it, but when you watch it and you see what's going on in Congress, they're going to defund the FBI, the investigation into Trump. I'm like, what is going on? You got the head of the Judiciary Committee that doesn't even have a law degree. It's like, are you kidding me on Congress? It's like, wow. And remember, Lindsey Graham and Joe Biden were like the best of friends. This was a man that cried in the back of a limo for Joe Biden. He's like, you know, Joe Biden's such a good man. They went on vacations together. So how the hell are you going to sit here and say you were friends with this man for 20 years and now all of a sudden he's a monster and socialist? He's the next Che Guevara. He's coming out with a barrette and stuff, you know? <laughs> it's like, come on, guys, you know? And a lot of this is just, uh, I mean, imagine you're living in a world where you think your kid's at any time going to get snatched, that you got groomers in the school, you got Mexicans coming to kill you, you know, it's like the police, they're going to take your guns, and this is what they're being told nonstop, nonstop. And it, it creates anger, it creates rage. Um, I wrote an article people got mad at me about, because they kept talking about violence in Democrat cities, and I said, look, violence in democrat cities do you know how high the murder rate in new york was in like 93 94 there was 2000 murders a year now it's like 290 300 yeah it'll tick up like but it's went down extremely you've even had sociologists and criminologists say that we're due for a big rise in crime because it's gotten so low but it's gotten so low that crime in small communities and gun violence is actually higher than in the city you know and it's uh 
But when I said that, they got mad. It's like the most violent states in the United States. Nine are Republican, and they counted Georgia as blue. And I'm like, why are you counting Georgia as blue? You have two senators out of there that are Democrat, but the whole government's a Republican government. So, you know, but uh, the top 10, and I mean, we're talking Alaska, you know, Mississippi, all these states, and they're like Democrat cities. But you know how they do it, man. When Lindsey Graham did this whole little production about violent cities in America, he took it to the statistics to where it was cities with a population of 250,000 or more. So, yeah, it makes it look, you know, that's how you create false perception. You the know, the scary like, thing for me about it is like, I know a lot of just de- like honestly decent people that it's almost like they get brainwashed after watching six hours of Fox News and it's hard to blame yeah. them. Because it's almost like it's it's hitting that reptilian brain of like you need to be afraid of this. They're grooming your children. They're coming after your children. They're going to take your guns. And it's like if that's all you're hearing and that's your echo chamber, of course you're going to end up believing that. If that's the echo chamber you live in, you'll end up thinking that even if you're you know even if you could be reached uh, before you started watching that all the time. You know the watching all the Fox News or the Jordan Peterson or the Tim Ballard interviews. You know, and that's what's terrifying to me about it. And also just the grotesque and exploitative nature of taking very real issues like child sexual abuse and using it to support a political agenda, whether it's anti-immigration or, you know, anti-trans rights or just it's it's utterly, you know, grotesque to me, the exploitative nature of it, using real issues and exploiting those issues uh, for a political agenda. Yeah, it's a, it is absolutely disgusting uh, the way it's been labeled, you know, and they, you know, gear it at the black communities as well as uh, Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. I've never met anyone that said, hey, let's go abuse a child. Hey, you want to go uh, pick up a kid and do this or that? Like I said, and I've always said that people that like do that stuff, they're very quiet. They're not going to advertise it. Criminals don't even like these people. Pedophiles get killed. They have to be in secure housing units because they're like marked for life. And it's like, who, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. And yeah, there's there, that's why it's like it's hard for there to really be a real like ring of people doing this because you have to have to be public and open about this. Like, hey, I like little kids and you're talking to people and sure, there's online exchanges of photos. But here's the disgusting thing. There was a big case in South Carolina when we lived down there where there was an exchange of pictures they were doing online. But most of these guys were taking those pictures to give swap with other guys. They were taking pictures of their own grandkids and stuff and then swapping it with other guys online. So it was not like they had a house full of children that they were doing this to. They're abusing their own kids in doing it. But what I want to say about the echo chamber real quick, I remember after 9-11 happened, I was stuck on the news a lot. And I remember I remember, I went so far in a rabbit hole, man, when I was watching that. I was like, oh, my God. And it took me like a week, two weeks after it was on the news, straight CNN, Fox, all the channels. I had to take a break because my head was just so far in this. Like, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I think it was an old Bill Hicks joke. You know, the great comedian Bill Hicks said, you know, if you watch like you know, Ted Turner's CNN back in the 90s, you would end up thinking to yourself, if I walk outside, I'm going to die because yeah. something is bad yeah. happening every second. Yeah. That is sort of what the 24-hour news cycle yeah. has done, where yeah. like, if you're yep. watching enough Fox News, if you don't mm-hmm. get out that much, you're going to start thinking to yourself, there's pedophiles everywhere. And, you know, I can understand why someone in their 60s or 70s, you know, like a, a grandparent of mine or something would get sucked into this. It's a very sad thing. 
It is. Um, it's ruined a lot of relationships. I mean, even with people I've had, because it's just gotten so toxic. I mean, we'll go to a dinner table or go out and it's nothing like uh, biting. And here's a funny story. I had a buddy of mine. Uh, I'll use Chris as his name. Well, a friend of ours, uh, he got a citizenship like 12 years ago from Australia. He tells my friend, he goes, you know what? I don't even know why you came here. I'm going to go to Australia. He goes, I'm so sick of this Biden cutting him in my rights. And my friend's like, you do realize like Democrats in Australia would be like a far right party. You go to Australia, it's, uh, even the far right groups are pretty liberal. You can't own a gun. you know. So he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, he goes, I mean, America's a right party. Democrats would be like a pretty far right party in Australia, even even against our own conservatives. And I'm like, yeah, well, you look at the issues that were caught up on, like abortion and these little wedge issues. But really, they're all doing the same thing. Once you get past those five, six big issues, they're just spending into living, military power, blah, 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 corporation uh, tax cuts. Somehow corporations keep getting these tax cuts. It's like, you know, it's, it's the same thing, same agenda. And, and then um, cutting any social programs for the rest of us, yep, you know. Yep, that need it. And uh, they say, oh, it would collapse the country. And it's like, no, it won't. Other countries have been doing it for years. Um, they're calling things socialism that isn't socialism. It's like a misdefinition of words. And like I was talking earlier with trafficking, we're not even using the proper language to describe these things. Well, I, I was things... going to say, I mean, the way they, the, the way the right wing use socialism in this country, basically they're just saying socialism means government does something, you know, which yep. is not the definition, you know. Well, and if they even looked at how much their states would lose, because, you know, I was talking about it with uh, Seth Andrews about, you know, because at one point it's like, well, what do they do about this? Who do they call? And I'm like, we well, call the police and you call DCFS, but they've demonized the police. They demonized, uh, you know, social workers and stuff into being like covert pedophiles. And what happens is they defund them to do these tax cuts. And then our federal tax dollars has to go help these uh, programs programs out sustain their police and stuff um you know majority of them are the ones that are on like welfare food stamps i'm like you cut them you're not it's not you're not hurting the black community <laughs> i mean you're hurting yourselves you know i know someone man that's on food stamps and uh you know i'm getting social security and he's like talking about all oh, these lazy people on social security I'm like what are you talking about <laughs> you know it's like you you're on it man you're on section eight housing are you kidding me? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we we live in interesting times, I suppose. I mean, I do hope I I do have some hope, as you mentioned. Uh, it does seem like this Tim Ballard story is falling apart. So, I mean, are, how do you feel about the trajectory of where everything is going? And then we'll leave it at that. Well, I, I, I mean, I think I don't know why he hasn't gotten went out and tried why he's going to fight this. I think this is probably the worst thing that happened to him because um, he lied. And, you know, the one thing I could say about people is they don't like being bamboozled. And what's going to end up happening is and this is a problem. Like I mean, when you, become you are famous, have to do some revisioning right on on Ballard's story. Yep. Yep. Well, he's out now. They fired him. I mean, he had to get out of there. They Well, he resigned. But, uh, you know, what happened was it went to their donors. I mean, you know, I guess there's certain people I think that live untouchable. And I think he believed he was untouchable. Um, he literally thought he was so beloved in the Mormon community. And I don't know if you know Lynn's story. 
but Lynn was a reporter at KSL, and he reported on a guy that was very beloved in the Mormon community named Paul H. Dunn. He wrote a book about it. When Lynn exposed him for his lies, because this was a guy that said he played for the St. Louis Cardinals, he held his friends in the battles of uh, Iwo Jima or something, he was a Marine. Well, Lynn actually went and found the friend that he supposedly held in a uh, as he died laying on the third wave of Iwo Jima or something, and exposed his stories. The Mormons, who had controlling interest of KSL News, when Lynn was the producer and anchor, they fired him. They fired him at BYU, bringing him university as the adjunct professor of journalism. Um, they right, that, this is literally... when Lynn writes the book, uh, Lying for the Lord, yeah. the Paul H. Dunn yep. stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Lynn's already had experience of being uh, completely uh, just blasted and destroyed for messing with a powerful Mormon. But uh, I think the hope is, is that, uh, I mean, I've had people write letters of like, you know, when Lynn reported on Paul H. Dunn, I prayed for his demise for many years. But now, you know, I've learned to trust and love Lynn Packer and this stuff about Tim Ballard is just sickening. And I think that that's one thing I'll say about the Mormon culture where they're having a real hard time with Trump. You know, it's like, you know, he's a horrible person, but, you know, this, that and the other. And that's why, you know, you don't see this huge plethora of support as far as like uh, the church, like getting highly political with it or allowing people to do it. In fact, there was a big story of one of the uh, Mormon apostles that are like the head of the church at the Quorum of Twelve. His family had donated money to the Biden campaign. That came out. That was a big scandal. You know, it's like, what is it? You know, and he's against abortion and stuff. But he's like, why did it go to the Democrat Party? Now it says the story is he didn't know the money was going to go to the Biden campaign, but it did. Whatever. But, you know, the point is, is that um, they're having a hard time with it. And I think, you know, when they now know when Lynn Packer reports something on, uh, because that's what Lynn specialized in was white collar crime and fraud. You know, he's on it. I mean, Lynn was practically retired. I pulled him out. I called him. I found his reports one day. I say, Lynn, I got 40 of your reports here. Um, this is great leads. I haven't heard this. And he's, we talk like three, four times. And he's like, well, you know what? I'm going to make a video. I hope that it gives you good leads and the uh, other reporters. And then here we are, you know. <laughs> 30 episodes later because uh it's like i don't know why you pulled me out of this i should have said no i, I mean but, i have to be honest it really is wild when you get into for people that don't know you can go to lynn packer's uh youtube page or american crime journal the website which will be linked in the synopsis of this episode and like the reporting is top notch and you know to be honest with you you know they made this sound of freedom movie i want to see another movie i want to see egomaniac the Tim Ballard yeah. story, because yeah. you could make a movie just about just all the shadiness that comes with Tim Ballard and his sort of egomaniacal pursuit of fame. The lie. Oh, the lies. I mean, the stuff he has said about himself and the way he acts is just uh, phenomenal. It's uh, you're absolutely correct. I and mean, probably, you know what? You, you probably couldn't fit it into a two hour movie. They'd probably have to do oh. like two seasons of a TV series. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And it would work because he's totally has that attitude. And, uh, you know, he's in there, but he really is a real good charisma. He's almost crying in the videos. And, you know, 
but see how they arm themselves when you question them. Well, you're a pedophile lover. Why would you want to question something like this? And it's like, because we need the truth, man. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm tired of it. And like I said, if you watch Sound of Freedom and, you know, I've seen the ending block where Jim Caviezel, I actually have a video of it, um, where Jim Caviezel, the credits are rolling. He's telling what you could do. And if you really want to fight and stop trafficking, just buy a ticket so someone else can see this movie and be aware. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. So we could watch a movie about a guy that goes overseas to another country and rescue a kid. Yeah, that's what we could do to stop human trafficking. You know that that's all you could do to stop human trafficking, man. Why don't you go buy someone a ticket? You don't even have to see the movie. Just buy him a ticket. <laughs> it's interesting. That probably really helped inflate the uh, number of tickets sold. It's like you just have I, people buying tickets and then giving them out free to other people. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my next article coming out. I'm probably just going to publish it today. I got all the things ready for it. Angel Studios got $7 million last I checked off that uh, pay ahead, you know, pay it forward. And then it's, there's a disclaimer at the bottom of the pay it forward that says that they don't, they can use the money any way they see fit. It does not have to go to, you know, the purchase of an actual ticket. So it's who knows? That don't Angel... know, the pay it forward is, is a program they have for you to buy tickets for other people. Yep. And, uh, you know, the disadvantaged and the poor, and then you could go and register and you could get a ticket, actually. I'm sure there, there was like $7 million in there. But it said right there that they could do uh, whatever they see fit with the movie. It does not have to go to the tickets and the disclaimer. I got to have it pointed out in the article. So it's like, it looks like Hartman Brothers and Angel Studios are getting in on the scam. Because if you know anything about this movie, they've had four or five fundraisers of raising money so they could distribute the film. So where's all that money? Where's all the money they got when they were uh, doing it to the QAnon rallies and the Stop the Steal elections? Because Tim Ballard did a lot of these speakings at Mormon Facts, you know, because Mormons uh, were here many years ago, white people. Um, and they were the ones that built the TPs and all the, you know, stuff, uh, Adobe's, you know. It's a, it's a weird religion. And I have to thank a lot of people that did help me understand that because getting sort of into the story kind of have to understand Mormon culture, ideologies, things like that, and how someone like Tim Ballard can navigate. Because, I mean, literally, if you're Mormon and devout, you said, I had a revelation. That's literally like saying, you know, like the Pope saying in the Catholic Church, hey, you know, uh, this guy's got, you know, he's a saint. He's going to be, you know, uh, beautified. You know, he's got a pure soul. And that's how they take it. So they're very serious with him in the beginning. But he realized real quick you could just lie and say whatever and they're going to take it at face value and they have did. there been any mormons that are speaking out now against ballard um i've not seen anyone publicly there have been some pretty wealthy mormons actually well known that we've talked to um and they said they're going to talk to some of the hierarchy but see the the mormon church is very very um like um uh, how can I say scandal adverse? So here's the deal. Here's another thing um, that's sickening. Um, so when they sent the matter from Curtin McConkey, the attorney's name was Peter Schofield. Anyway, Peter Schofield sends me the cease and desist, says you can't say anything about Ballard. We're going to sue you. These two statements you said aren't true. I told him, hey, you know, let's go. I want to get uh, discovery of your guy. He didn't say anything back. And that kicked it off. That was my first article on OUR. Anyway, Curtin McConkie ran this catch and kill scheme that was leaked by someone at Curtin McConkie. They leaked it to Mormon Leaks, a website. What would happen is there was a program called LDS Family Services, 
And it was not for sex abuse victims to call, but it was for the bishops that if a family came in and said, hey, my child was sexually abused by someone, or the child said something, or if you said, hey, I know someone being sexually abused, that bishop was instructed to call the LDS Family Services Hotline. The LDS Family Services Hotline went to the law offices of Curtin McConkie. They would get the information on whoever was sexually abused, send the lawyers out there, and get a settlement into them. It didn't have to be someone at the Mormon church sexually abusing them. Just a member of the church had to do it. They would settle it just to silence them because they don't want the scandal, period. There was a Michael case of Michael Jensen where this happened, where he sexually abused several kids. But Curtin McConkie silenced them. And the families to this day, they could talk about what happened to them with Jensen, but not the details of the settlement they had with Curtin McConkie before this happened. So it's very troubling that they got the attorney that ran this program and um, he sends me a letter saying, oh, you know, you're, you're the, how great they are saving children, because if they ever send you a legal letter, it's always something how great they are. I got a legal letter from Glenn Beck, too. Um, oh, really? Had, yeah, from Mercury One and Glenn Beck saying ah, blah, blah, blah. But um, anyway. Why would they do this? But there was a good AP story about a man that was a Border Patrol agent. He was sexually abusing, having incest with his kids. He was telling the bishop this, and he never uh, came forward. This was in Arizona. Like Arizona is not a uh, mandatory reporter state when it comes to a religious figure. And this guy ends up killing himself and his kids. It's like he was really trying to get help, be sexually abusing his kids, but he's talking to his pastor and they're just telling him, oh, pray more, pray more. They're not guiding him to go to the police. They're not guiding him to go to uh, like a counselor. They're not guiding him to get his kids out of the house. They're just telling him to pray more and all that. Well, he ends up killing himself and all this and his family. Well, if Tim Ballard really cared about sex abuse, the Mormon church just uh, got a big win in Arizona where they fought tooth and nail so that their pastors, pastors don't have to be mandatory reporters. There's a big injunction saying that priests and, you know, uh, religious uh, clergy needed to be mandatory reporters if they heard about sexual abuse. Mormon church led the way in fighting against that. So if Tim Ballard really cared about sex abuse victims, the hundreds of thousands that will come out of Arizona, he would have been stopping that instead of uh, talking this nonsense. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think um, John Dellen, who interviewed yeah. Lynn for uh, the Mormon Stories podcast, when he points that out, I mean, if if people like Ballard really care about sexual abuse of children, I mean, there are some skeletons in the closet of, you know, Mormonism in the United States. The Warren Jeffs case comes to mind that don't get talked about. Well, hey, you want to talk about actual human trafficking where people were getting stolen. Um, it's actually the only real time you see this in history is the Mormon church stealing people's women and taking them to Utah and they escaped. Um, even Brigham Young's one of his wives escaped Utah and told her story and said she was kidnapped and forced to be his wife. So, I mean, you want to talk about it? Uh, Tim Ballard, let's talk about it. You know, I mean, you want to talk about cases like that, but uh, and if there's cases that you want to deep dive where there's really kind of like nefarious, look in the Oakland County child killer. That's a perfect case that you know has got a lot of weird stuff. Another pedo island involved. Um, if you kind of want to read stuff about it, but don't make this like the mainstream case and kids are getting snatched off the street.
It's not true. I've got many letters of thanks from law enforcement and trafficking victims, because once you hear this fantastic story, they don't want to hear anyone else's that might not have all that interesting stuff. It might be just a very dirty uh, betrayal, but people need to be educated about it, not the nonsense. You know, it's just disturbing. It really is that we're ignoring the actual issue and we are caught up in fantasy trafficking and arguing about fantasy trafficking. And when they say, oh, it happens all the time. You know, Lynn and I are like, well, name one victim. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Blah, blah. That's your job. And it's like, well, if it's happening all over the place, then you would know somebody. Well, I mean, the if interesting you... thing to me is, and I, I'm not saying the movie does this, but one of the narratives that often comes up, I think, with these sort of uh, fantasy trafficking things. And, and to be honest, I think there's historical sort of versions of this, you know, but a lot of people, even in like the parts of the 20th century, there are always these panics about white slavery and white slavery trafficking. But yep. really, I mean, the biggest victims of trafficking are not, you know, some white girl from the suburbs. But I think the no. American right wing and its more extreme elements like to play into this idea of like, oh, little Cindy's going to get kidnapped, you know. Well, I, I never said this, uh, but I talked to a black lady, you know, that does advocacy work. And she said, you know, I think a lot of the trafficking narrative today, especially like with the white women being snatched, too, is that it was good cover for like if the wives turned to prostitution, if they got hooked on opium, like when they were in the uh, Chinese opium dens that were over here and stuff, it gave them cover to hide prostitution and disguise it as something else. It's like, my wife wasn't a prostitute. She was trafficked. And it's like, no, <laughs> I think your wife was walking the street, man. But no, and I think part of that is true is that we've demonized sex work as well. There's another element to that because... You know, they'll say things like, well, 95% of prostitution is forced. No, it's not. And since the internet, um, it's really killed the era of pimps because now women that do work in sex work, they can pick their own places, safe places. And um, they don't have to go on the street. Many of them still do. I'm not saying pimps don't exist, but a lot of times pimps are just the boyfriend that's living off his woman for drugs or whatever. But uh Calling that just straight up human trafficking is just really blanketing the statement. We're not getting into the issue of drug addictions, mental illnesses, things like that. So and then to sit here and pretend and demonize it and, you know, it kind of softens the uh, the perception of it because that's really the whole thing is they, they try to act like, again, there's this whole thing about virginity and purity. If girls don't, you know, go out here and have sex, they won't end up becoming trafficked, you know? It's like, you know, there's there's a whole circle about that that talks about stuff like that, you know? Guys that'll test girls out before they traffic them, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> there we go. Well, hey, Tammy uh, and I want to thank you for coming on Parallax Views. How can my listeners keep up with the work you're doing? Uh, right now, um, for some reason, we got some traction on YouTube, but I might, we might transition to some more videos on YouTube channel, myself especially, because there's just so much information coming out. It's getting to be, uh, I can't keep up with it writing about it. But um, if you go to AmericanCrimeJournal.com, if you're just interested in the Operation Underground Railroad, I have a whole section called Derailed Operation Underground Railroad. 
Um, you can email me at Damien, D-A-M-I-O-N, at AmericanCrimeJournal.com if you have questions. Um, social media, Jen's on there. She can help you if you want to ask questions on Instagram or Facebook. But uh, we have a whole area of the website dedicated to Operation Underground Railroad, and that's pretty much all I've been working the last two, three years other than a few cases. So you'll see it right on the front page. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Damian Moore and that you'll check out his and Lynn Packer's work at AmericanCrimeJournal.com. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at Patreon.com slash ParallaxViews. One more time, that's Patreon.com slash ParallaxViews. And with that being said... Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like great. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight. With no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.